0: The world always has an original, whether it is in art or whether it is in every day. What happens if this is replicated and remade? Does it live up to the original? The Literary License Podcast explores the world of the original and remake as we explore and see if the remake truly stands up to the original. With your hosts Joe Randazzo, John Wilson, Vicky Ray, and Keith Chago, where they ask the question, does the remake live up to the original? Welcome to Literature Lessons Podcast is Make Remake and discover the original film and the remake. And today we're discovering True Grip from 1969 and the remake from 2010. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We've got Davi Cavallo with us. Hello, David. Hi everyone. And Joe Randazzo. Hello, Joe. Hey everyone. And Vicky's enjoying COVID in upstate New York, so she will not be with us. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> get well soon, Vicky.
2: No shame.
0: <laughs> oh, no, again, thing when Vicky's not here, we can talk about her like she is here. So, before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, David, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Um,
3: well, pretty much the same. So, <clears throat> work, 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 as usual. Um, yeah, not much, Not nothing really special going on. I mean, I went yesterday to the party of my company, uh, they did like like um, the summer party, I was all right, um, but nothing. Else, major happening. I joined the gym. But that's it. Really, not much to say this time.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> about yourself, joe what are you been up to? uh
1: also, also like David, it's been a lot of it's been a lot of work. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any. I I just uh, finally saw uh, Fool's Paradise uh, last night, the uh, Charlie Day film that. Uh, <clears throat> by the trailer looked like it was going to be a modern day retelling of, uh, of being there, but set in Hollywood. And um, I guess, I guess I kind of set my expectations uh, maybe a little too high because like this had none of the subtlety of being there. This had none of the wit of being there. It was a sledgehammer. <laughs> just every like sur- surgical incision that uh, that 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 being there made in in terms of comedy this movie just was just a sledgehammer of crudeness and annoying characters and with the exception of Charlie Day and uh Ray Liotta, it seems like no one else kind of got the the idea of what well Charlie Day's the director and the writer too so i i guess i i should put some of the blame on him but performance wise day is fantastic He's uh, he's doing uh, basically like, like the way I saw it was like if if uh, Chauncey Butler was played by either Charlie Chaplin or Harpo Marx, which on the surface sounds great. But the main problem that I had watching this movie is what made uh, being their work was that the uh, while it did poke fun at the elites who are taking this character, who's kind of a blank slate and projecting their own ideas onto why he's so great they weren't complete and utter morons in that movie. Everybody in this movie is a complete and utter moron. So the, um, the best comparison I have to it is if it's like a movie of all Lou Costello's and no Bud Abbott, because you have no straight man. It's yeah, just every, cool. everybody's crazier and dumber than the other characters.
2: Man.
1: And by the end, it just kind of fell flat for me. Uh, I love the first half when basically what happens is Ray Liotta is stuck in traffic. He finds this uh, this uh, Charlie Day, uh, a mute Charlie Day, who they explain he's been through some trauma uh, and he's now lost the ability to speak. He's not like a mute as in like he can't. It's just he's lost the ability to. Uh, he finds him selling oranges on the side of the road and he realizes he looks just like this absolute asshole of a leading man that they have on their movie. So he brings him in and goes, this guy's going to take your place um and uh the first half of the movie where they're making a movie and he's constantly like he's not a, he's not an actor so he's constantly looking at the camera and con- it's a lot more interesting and then the second half after the movie comes out you kind of feel like you got the emotional climax uh when the movie they made comes out but then the movie goes another hour after that oh, okay so it's one of those where it's like i it got me wondering and, I, I, you know, when I got up this morning, because Sean had seen it in the theaters uh, months ago, it got me wondering, was the premise of this movie going to be the making of that movie for, for Ray Liotta, the producer? And then maybe because Ray Liotta, the, you know, died in real life. Maybe they had to rush something done. I don't know. But it just felt like a missed opportunity to me. Um, mm-hmm. if, if Is it worth checking out? I guess... I don't, you know, like if you're gonna, like if you're someone like me who's expecting it to be being there, part of it is that it's just, I, I mean, how is it supposed to match up to one of the greatest comedies ever made? It kind of looks like it's an attempt to do that, but uh, in my opinion, it just falls a little flat.
0: Okay,
2: who
0: uh, um, being there was directed by what? Hal Ashby. Hal it? Ashby. Yeah, you had Harold and Maude and um, yeah. Nine to Five and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. So
1: you had one of the, you know, you had a, a fantastic director behind there and you had, you know, Peter Sellers who like Charlie day is a great comedian, Charlie day for his performance. I thought he was absolutely spot on. He had the pathos of Chaplin, the zaniness of Harpo marks. And he did have the naivete of Peter Sellers as Chauncey Butler. It's just that I feel like the rest of it just did like Ken Jeong is the most annoying thing I've, ever this seen guy, in this, this movie guy from the hangover hangover movies yeah uh, yeah he annoys me Jeez.
2: every time i look
0: at him i kind of want him dead
3: oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> i,
0: I found him annoying because the thing is is like it's kind of like that you know you know sometimes there's comes a comedian that comes out and everyone thinks they're funny and you watch him you just can't see what the attraction is he reminds oh my me my of gosh, something I you know, where it's like they put him in everything and I've yet to see anything that sparkles or is, he's wonderful
3: in.
1: Well, he's always the same. He's the same thing.
3: One <laughs> note performance. I have an actor yeah. that I feel like that for.
1: <laughs> even if he's acting... Well, I find that even
0: if he's acting zany or he's upset or he's being crazy or he's mourning, it's the same performance. Yeah. So you think it's like flat? There's no really... I like think he's having, he's either having sex with someone very, very important, or he's got a fantastic PR agent.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. You know, maybe he's just
1: really likable.
0: Maybe, what, maybe what he's fine it? on set. I don't know. But I'm just saying nothing really transpires onto the screen that I have seen yet. And yeah. I so do I, you think it pops up in a lot of stuff? So my
3: question is, is this your objective opinion or subjective? Is it is it your perception? it's my perception I have,
0: yet, I have yet to see him i've seen him in quite a few things and he pops mm. up a lot and i have and every time he shows up i just think okay and then afterwards i am like Ugh. you basically don't like the the, the
3: actor basically
0: it's been like i it's mean like, it's like kieran knightley it's like you know you're told how wonderful they are but yeah i have i've yet to see anything that they're wonderful in <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, also, this is this is us talking about Ken Jong, the performer, not Ken Jong, the man
3: who, no, of course, yeah. you
1: know, yeah. could, yeah, you know, from, from everything I've heard about him, he's a really nice guy. It's, it's just everything brilliant. I see him and he plays the same, he plays almost the same character. Mm. And in this one, he was just grating throughout the whole thing. It was, it was just like, I, like his care, I wanted his character to die. <laughs> yeah. <You know?
2: laughs>
3: Yeah, I can understand that. I, you I, guys I, have I, very strong opinions of um, this this
1: No, oh, I want okay, the character. Okay, okay. No, understand. I wanted the character to die. The oh, the character, character. Okay, not okay, the actor. Okay, okay.
3: no, yeah, Ken Jeong, okay. the actor. Okay, I misunderstood the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I the, I, I the, the character, character he play. played. I wanted him to okay, die. Okay, okay, the characters that he is presenting. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. But even I, like a
0: Hangover movie, when he gets like taken you think oh great maybe he got killed and then they bring him back in the end you're like oh my god they open the trunk and they're like oh my god here we go again
2: I had
1: that, I had that <laughs> moment when, I had that moment in this movie where something happens to it I'm like oh good because it's around an hour and I'm like oh good he's dead his character's
3: dead nope no
1: such fucking luck
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: he came back, came back. <laughs> did, 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 this trunk to be honest something I didn't I did, I did, I know it was just me like you know sometimes you have this strange um, adversity towards other Certain characters in the movie or whatever For me and for the love of God I'm going to say he's, the name of this actor This actor as I'm sure is amazing I'm sure he's great, he's done so many movies He's not done only comedy movies He's done also movies that are serious And I watched some of them and they're actually great But when I was younger I grew up watching So many of these movies And I could not stand the character he was playing So the the actor that I hate so much in his movies is Jim Carrey I cannot stand Him in <laughs> movies like The Mask or um, What was the movie about him Trying to save the animals I can't remember uh, Ace
1: Ventura, Pet Detective. Yes
3: that's the one My brothers adored him When we were when younger I just cannot stand the character I, mean, I just I find this so irritating <laughs> But then you watch the Truman Show And he's a completely different actor And it feels so weird seeing him Watching him doing something more serious, I, I don't know. It I, I haven't watched the whole, <laughs> the, you know, filmography of whatever he has done, but I just I don't know. His comedy maybe I don't get it. Maybe it's just me. Well, I, his, his know, I comedy really is very it.
1: broad. That that's the the thing with Jim Carrey. Is his comedy is very very broad. Well, it's it's often lowest common denominator too.
0: Well, The Mask and Ace Ventura and things like that are more of a spin off of his in Living Color days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then he wanted to take it more serious. I mean, he's even. I mean, to be honest, even before in Living Color, when he did movies before. I mean, he played a suicide teen in a TV movie that he was quite good in before he became a comedian. And and then and then I think I think next thing I saw him in Earth Girls Are Easy with Jeff yeah. Goldblum and Julie Brown and Gina Davis, and he plays an alien with Damon Wyans. And then they would later go on and do in Living Color together. So, but then he, then he kind of saw the goofiness at that point. One spitten, I think he's in that he? <laughs> with <Yeah. Lauren.
1: laughs> One Spitten is the vampire movie, Lauren Hutton, him and Lauren Hutton.
0: Yeah, <laughs> be he's a, been around. Um, he wasn't he had the, like his teenage thing, and then you can see where he went into the this- <laughs> and then he saw where I'm gonna be
3: an actor. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean he's it, it's, it's changed since so for example, the, the, I love two two specific movies. I love the Jim Carrey. I generally hate the fan, the 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 the, the sort of comedies, but well, I mean maybe because they were from the nineties, there was a different comedy. I don't know. But then when you watch The Grinch, that's my f- absolute favorite Christmas movie, for example, because that. you have the comedy. I didn't the Grinch. <laughs> oh, I I love it because it's like I've a fairy tale. So yeah, so it's it's kind of like a comedy but has a teaching. Mm-hmm. And then for me, it's I, something, I don't know. I love things that teach you. So when it's just comedy for the sake of comedy, or something just for the sake of itself, I'm just kind of like, okay, especially comedy. I want comedy that like, makes you laugh, but also makes you think. So mm-hmm. the Grinch, I'm getting to this conversation about Christmas. I'm not a Christmas believer. I don't like Christmas in general. But the Grinch brings out the reason why I don't like Christmas, because it's just all fake and spending money and whatever. And well, then yeah, he's I, the I, evil it, it character who's telling different. to the people.
0: It sounds like the Grinch might be
3: like your life story. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> but I love that movie. And then the other the other movie, which is um completely not not um, um comedy, but that's um eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, I think it's oh, yeah, or movie. something like that. That is that's yeah. the movie that made me cry. That made me cry. And that's an incredible movie. But when I get to the comedy side, except for the Grinch because it's a special. I don't know why I loved it, um, but when you get to the comedy side, especially the 90s stuff, I, I'm kind of like, uh, 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 I don't get it. I just don't get it, but that's my opinion. Obviously, it's subjective, so.
0: I think, I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm kind of soured against the Grinch for two reasons. I'm in love oh, yeah, with yeah. the 1960s cartoon with Boris Karloff narrating cartoon, which is what we grew up to in. I that. It's where we grew up with in America. Like every year, it used to come out. So I have affinity, and I really like the DreamWorks Grinch as well when that came out, the animated of that. Who, because there were same people who did Horton Hears Who, and there's this love of I love the love of Doctor Seuss because I'm a huge Doctor Seuss fan. Um, so I was a bit soured against the movie because I felt it lost some of the Dr. Seussisms and it didn't help that all the Whovilles look like they had the same plastic surgeon as Michael Jackson.
2: Mm. So because they
0: all have those little <laughs> noses of, like Michael Jackson, like <laughs> surgical place. <laughs> it's, like, it's like watching a movie of Whovilles done by Michael Jackson, white versions of Michael Jackson, not black version of Michael Jackson. So, so I kind of when I went there, I was like, oh, okay, so... But there are parts of it that I do like. Little little Cindy Lou, who I kind of wish they cut off her head at the end. So, but
1: <laughs> um, I, I actually visited the sets uh, because they, as of ten years ago, uh, the sets were still standing on the Universal lot, and mm-hmm. they were part of the uh, they are part of the VIP tour. So it was it was kind of cool being on the sets of the, of that movie. Uh, then right on the other side of the set, literally the wall of you know the the mountain of Whoville. Behind it is the Bates Motel and then up the mountain is the Bates House. So <laughs> the placement was perfect.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: I guess the grints, I guess it because it came out the same around the same time as Nightmare Before Christmas.
1: No, no, I, That's no, nice I think this. Idea. No, I think this Grinch came out a while after, didn't it? It came out a while because I just remember it kind of like because Nightmare Before Christmas was like '93. I think I was already uh, I, I was a kid. I think I was an adult before the, uh, okay. the Jim Carrey Grinch movie came out because I kind of always looked at um, the
0: Grinch was like it was to me when I watched it. Maybe this is what it is. It oh, seven like, years. It felt like a Tim Burton movie that wasn't a Tim Burton movie. Like an artificial Tim Burton film. Ron it, Howard trying hmm. to make a,
1: a Tim Burton movie is what is what, yeah. you know, and, that's what
0: and I have, and I have a problem with Ron Howard films anyway to a certain extent. So what
1: what's, what what's the
0: reason? Ron Howard films tend to have this weird sentimentality to it without any of the substance. He oh, I mean Ron Howard, you know him from Happy Days. <laughs> and I you know, I grew up with Ron Howard. He's in one of my favorite movies when he's a little kid, he was in the Music Man. He was also in um, The Andy Griffith Show as OP, and then he graduated in the TV when he did Happy Days and then he became a director. And you know, Not all his stuff is bad, but there is this kind of a weird Americanization of his stuff that he does. And I think that for me, for a Grinch movie to succeed in live action, it kind of needs more of that German ex- ex- um, expressionism to be added to it. Because the the thing about Dr. Seuss, he's quite fun and light, but there's always this dark, sinister thread, like with, with all great children's books anyway, there's always a darkness to it, like we're all dull or where the wild things are. Well, season seven, we'll be looking at a lot of these dark threads, children literature sort of thing. But um, but yeah, so I think that's, um, yeah, and I think also I kind of missed the... It's the padding of the story as well. I think I liked it when it stuck to the story, but when they padded it out to make it a feature film, and that's where I lost lost me a little bit. Plus, it didn't help that when I went to cinema, there's these mothers and their children, and didn't have control, and they were running all over the theater at the time. Oh, the well, that might have something to do with it as well. So I probably have to <laughs> put probably you in a better mood movie. already. I probably need <laughs> to revisit it because I haven't seen it since I went to the movie theater. So I probably, yeah. At some
1: point I'm looking through Ron Howard's filmography And yeah Like uh, the fact of the matter is A lot of the movies That he did direct That I liked I forgot that he was The director
2: mm-hmm.
0: oh, wow. Apollo 13 That's him isn't it Give us yeah, Apollo textiles.
1: 13 Apollo 13 is his Solo uh, The solo of Star Wars story Is his uh, The Da Vinci Code A Beautiful Mind Oh my uh, God. Willow uh, Backdraft I love Backdraft I forgot it was oh, A Ron wow. Howard movie uh, Frost Nixon. I like Frost Nixon. Forgot it was a Ron Howard movie. Splash, ransom, splash.
3: splash oh my gosh, <laughs> my colleague loves that movie so much. <laughs> ransom, I like. I, I like Ransom a lot.
1: Yeah, the, the, yeah. Well, it was, was kind of like uh, that, that Liam Neeson movie before before uh, uh Taken. It. It's kind of Taken before Taken existed, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Beautiful Mind.
0: Yeah, I didn't like that. I, I hate, I have, but I hate Russell Crowe, so that's my fault. That has nothing to do with the movie. I just,
1: yeah, the, I remember a beautiful one. The Da Vinci Code, uh, Willow, Hill. Well, the, the last one flopped. I remember Hillbilly Elegy, I remember it came out a couple years ago, and it was, uh, I, I think it was his attempt at getting an Oscar, and uh, like nobody liked it.
2: <laughs> I, remember I remember the Da Vinci thing, Code, I remember seeing Willow Prince. at the
0: IMAX in Denver because I was living in Denver, uh, Colorado at that point, so. So imagine- Willow
3: is the one. Is the movie that they actually put on the Disney Plus channel now,
0: right? I mean, of yeah, Christmas, uh, they did the it. They, they made a TV series out of it as well, or they tried. Oh, really? They
1: They already took. They already took it down. They they already took the tax write off on it, so it's gone. Yeah.
3: Well, well the well, movie or the series?
1: The series. The series. Is okay, because
3: I really need to watch the movie because I watched it when I was a kid. Willow's. Well, probably, I don't remember anything. I I think Willow's one of
0: those movies that I think people of that era who saw it still kind of love it mm-hmm. but I think in history it will come down with Val Kilmer meeting his wife but um Joanne Wally Kilmer well Joanne Wally you know was coming off Scandal and all these great movies and it kind of like they got together and then you, then she kind of disappeared like what happens to some people when they get married <laughs> it's like they're doing really really well <laughs> and there's someone famous and you never hear from them again they're kind of the background from that point forward but um but yeah, and it had the the little the the little person like um, Warwick Davis,
1: and he was in the new version as well.
0: Yeah, and it, I mean oh. before that, I, I before that I think he was famous for playing an Ewok.
1: So. Yeah, yeah, and I think up until Peter Dinklage, he was probably the biggest of the well, no pun intended, the biggest of the uh uh you know is I guess technically he's a dwarf. Is that yeah, dwarf. I guess up, up until Peter Dinklage kind of blew up in the last decade, I guess he would have been the biggest name out of all of, uh, out of all the uh... Yeah, I mean, I think Peter
0: Dinklage has become known as a serious actor where Warwick Davis is kind of he made movies when he did stuff. It's kind of like I don't think he was ever taken as a serious
1: actor, but he always was. He worked well. Yeah. Well, he's leprechaun too. Yeah. <laughs> How would I forget that? He's, he was the leprechaun. Yeah, Leprechaun. Yeah. Okay. Except the last one, uh, it wasn't Warwick Davis anymore. It was um, shit. It was the WWE wrestler, a, a tiny WWE wrestler. I don't remember his name right now. Was he also? Was he was the first Leprechaun? Yeah, he was in the first like seven, seven or so of them.
0: So he's in the first movie with um, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston.
1: Yeah, he's in that <laughs> Jennifer Aniston's first movie. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I watched it recently. It's. I, I, you know, I, I don't dislike it. I, I, the only one I really did not like, I, I went through almost the whole series uh, in the last couple of years. I liked the first one. I did not like the second one. The third one in Vegas, I think is the best one. Leprechaun in space. I did not, I, I didn't like either because it just like, I, it just looked like they just cheaped out oh, on it.
0: The heart set through that one was.
1: And then uh, leprechaun in the hood was actually pretty good. <laughs> Um, yeah. they seem to, seem to have good one bad one good one bad one i'm surprised
0: i mean i'm surprised i mean there must people must have watched them for them to keep making it and keep it keeping on holding on to the franchise so. well the
1: yeah the third one went straight to video i think but it did so well in the direct to video market that they that they greenlit a fourth one but then they cut the budget so much like you could see just how cheap everything is uh, by the time you get to leprechaun in space and then leprechaun in the hood they gave it a little more money and you could, and it's, and it was actually kind of engaging. So, then they tried to reboot the
0: franchise, not too yeah,
1: long. Yeah, uh, recently that's when they got that WWE wrestler to play him. Oh, uh, yeah,
0: that's where they were like in the woods or something. Yeah, yeah, I seen like that.
1: Leprechaun Origins or something like that.
0: Yeah, I knew they tried to reboot the series. So. I
1: think it was made for Sci Fi Channel and I think like nobody watched it.
0: Shame. <laughs> Well, I've watched it. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's on the D <laughs> it's on the DVD set of all the movies. I haven't gotten to, I've only, uh, I've only gotten to Leprechaun back to the hood. I haven't gotten to, which I think is the sixth. I haven't gotten to the seventh or eighth yet. Cause there's uh Leprechaun origins and Leprechaun returns. I think Warwick Davis is not in either one of those.
0: No. Well, so what else have you been up to?
1: Aside from that, just working a lot. And, uh, Yeah, it's already burning me out again. Well,
0: what have we been to? We went to see Craig's art exhibition. He had two really good um, photographs there. And and it was up for, he got an honorable mention, which was quite good. Um, And I mean, his photography is really, really good, which if you get our newsletter, you can click on that and see his photography because he has his own web page for all that stuff. But yeah, he did. Um, so we went to that. That was quite nice. Um, saw a fantastic movie, which is on Shudder, which I highly recommend called Becky, starring Lulu Wilson.
2: Oh,
1: I saw I, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen it when I turn on Shudder. Excellent. Watch it.
0: The, the sequel's just come out, um, called The Wrath of Becky. Um, and it's got fantastic reviews. So I'm actually thinking, don't you know? Don't you know, you listeners out there? Who knows what happened? But maybe at the end of August, maybe we will cover Becky as part of our family. <laughs> the <to> spring us <laughs> off into our family season for season seven. So, but I um I've actually ordered the Wrath of um, Becky on Blu-ray, so I'm hoping to watch the sequel to that. But the first one was really really. I was uh, I was quite taken by surprise. But I need to watch something a bit bored. Well, watch this fun <clears> if it's. I thought it'd be mindless fun, but. Really good acting, and it was great. Um, the act, everyone in it's really good. Um, it has uh, who's the actor who was in Mike and Molly? Okay, I don't remember his name, I don't know who you mean. I just can't place something. something, James. But anyway, he plays the villain in this piece, and he's really, really good. So, but yeah,
1: but another, oh, sorry,
0: go ahead. No, I say if you want to see a 13 year old. Getting revenge,
2: <laughs> right? One to watch and uh, done it's, it's <laughs> well. It's Kevin
1: uh, Kevin James uh, Kevin James and Joel McHale. Wow, it's yep.
2: That's all... it. <clears throat> you
1: two, you two uh, male leads are both uh, comedic actors in your horror movie. That's that's odd. Oh, it's not on Shutter here in the US anymore. Oh, uh, it it's not on
0: Shutter here in the UK. If you get a chance to see it, watch it. It's
2: um, I mean, it was so.
0: I actually, um, I were actually ordered the Blu-ray of it because I loved it so much. I thought that's what geez, I did wow. with uh,
1: wa- uh, Watcher last year. I saw Watcher on Shutter, and I immediately bought the Blu-ray. I was like, "This is so good." <laughs> um, the uh, the, there is something else I haven't seen it yet, but it's the director of uh, We Are Still Here, which we covered on the podcast a couple months ago. Oh, uh, okay. He made a new movie on Shudder called Brooklyn Forty Five. It looks like it's. I, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the trailers for it. I know it's on Shudder, so I'll check it out eventually.
0: Yeah, I was gonna check that out. I put that in my watch list actually. I saw that on the uh, mm-hmm. Shutter
1: because I saw they're fun to go back to Shutter
0: and see some good horror for a change. And I you know, because that's for people out there. I mean, we we did cover Shudder in season two, three, because at that point they were doing a little bit of um promotion for us and we we're promoting them. Um so for a while there we we're just watching Shudder and I have to say they have the best independent horror films.
1: They do. Um, my my only uh, issue with uh, with Shudder right now is fix your damn app because I try to I try to watch uh, Joe Bob Briggs live on uh, Friday nights and the last four weeks in a row, I haven't been able to get on. and there's really no excuse for not being able to get on to a service that I pay you for.
0: Yeah, and their Amazon, Lincoln is not excellent either. But yeah. it's, really hard, it's really hard to find what you're looking for on it. Everything's there, you just have to scroll through a lot of stuff. And even and even they used to have like what's you know, new this month they used to have it now they don't so like, you have to like scroll through all this you know and they i mean the thing is they have a lot of stuff on there i mean they got classic horror on there they got all the food a lot of fuchi films and the italian horror and they have a lot of spanish horror and franco films and, but you know sometimes you kind of want to see what's new so you have to scroll through a lot of stuff you know and you know anyone who's out there for the docu, the three documentaries in the Search of Darkness, Part One, Two, and Three alone is worth the price of them, for the cost each month. So, so if you're into 80s horror and you want to know everything that came out in the 80s, that's fantastic.
1: Each one's like three hours long, so they are very in depth. Uh, I I don't know if they're doing any more of them. I've only seen the first one so far, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's. It's basically going through yeah every single horror movie that came out in the '80s. <laughs> Another one that's quite good
0: actually is has a YouTube channel which we do advertise on our um, website. It, I mean on our website, but on our newsletter is movie timelines, and he's doing all the '80s. So he did the eight 1980, and he did all the horror releases of 1980, and now he's doing 1981. And it takes him a good year to two years to do each year of '80s. So he's only in. Yeah,
3: by the time I'm 90
0: I'll see it up to 89 so (laughs) (laughs) I mean he does all this on his own so you know so it takes a little bit more time but yeah no, highly recommend it So, on that note,
3: this brings us to True
0: Grit, which is a 1969 American Western film directed by Henry Hathaway, starring John Wayne as U.S. Marshal Rooster Cogburn, Glenn Campbell as La Beef, and Kim Darby as Matthew Ross. It is the first film adaption of Chelsea Pardis, um, sorry, Charles Pardis, 1968 novel of the same name. The screenplay was written by Marguerite Roberts. Wayne won an Oscar for his performance in the film and repraised his character in the 1975 sequel, Rooster Cogburn, starring Catherine Hepburn. Historians believe Coburn was based on the Deputy U.S. Marshal Heck Thomas, who brought in some of the toughest outlaws. The cast also includes Robert Duvall, Dennis Hopper, Jeff Corey, and Strother Martin. The title song, is sung by John Glenn Campbell, was also Oscar-nominated. A remake, which we'll be covering later, was released in 2010, which starred Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, Halle Stanfield, and Josh Brolin. Before we get started about talking about True Griff from 1969, we'll cut to the trailer.
4: Says Life magazine, True Grit is good enough for me. It's good enough for you. And if it isn't good enough for some movie company, then the free enterprise system is really going to hell. Move along.
5: They tell me you're a man with True Grit.
4: What do you want? Speak up. I've already
5: wrinkled the paper. It's pretty loose because your makings are too dry. I'm looking for Tom Cheney. Who's he? He's the man that shot and killed my father, Frank Ross.
4: Says the New York Times, as touching as it is irreverently amusing.
5: Marshal Looster Cogburn and I are going after the murderer, Tom Cheney.
4: How did you light on that greasy vagabond? They say he has grit. He's a notorious thumper. He's not a man I would care to share a bed with.
5: Nor would I.
4: And now, Paramount Pictures presents the Hal Wallace production True Grit Starring John Wayne as Rooster Cogburn The most colorful character he's ever played
5: If I smelled as bad as you I wouldn't live near people
4: Kim Darby as Matty Ross oh. hey. ah. yeah. My God She reminds me of me Glenn Campbell in his first big screen role, A little earlier, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss from you. Although you are very young. And you're unattractive to boot. But now I'm of a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt.
0: Hello, welcome back to the License of Podcast. We're discussing True Grip from 1969. And starting with you, David, what's your thoughts of True Grip from
3: 1969? Hmm. Okay, so my premise is that I don't think in my life I've ever watched a Western Movie um, I was ne- I've never been attracted to western movies The for my perspective it was kind of like okay so this is kind of Like one of those movies where people kill Each other and they show themselves Oh look I'm better than you because I can shoot And whatever blah 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 obviously not knowing Anything I was like oh gosh this is going to be one of those Movies however When I watched them I was Extremely impressed by both Of the movies so this has kind of Given me like a chance to actually watch something I've never watched before Um, I actually loved them Considering that Generally I can say That this is not my favorite Type of movie My favorite genre But I was impressed About the stories And everything So I loved both of them For different reasons So you know Normally we do Like a movie and a remake And you kind of like Okay I like this More than the other one Because this is better This is worse This is blah 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 For them it's kind of like Seeing I'm going to sound Very like heretic Saying this But like do you know like in the Marvel Universe when you have like different timelines or like parallel universe sort of thing? That's what it felt like because there were scenes that were exactly the same and then they were saying exactly the same words and the scenes were exactly the same, whatever. And for me, it was kind of like rewatching the same story twice with kind of slightly different things. I enjoyed both of them. I loved the old one um, because it kind of gave me like a genuine... It kind of like make me jump, like in um to have like a view of the past, like this like this past which you know we don't really study this at school. When in Italy, we don't really study the history of of, of the United States and America, etc. So it's kind of like it gave me a chance to kind of look into like an imaginary. Well, because obviously this is kind of I don't know if it's based on the original the real story or not, but um it's kind of like it gave me a view of the past. Um. And then you can see even the actors like trying to talk in the way they used to talk, et cetera, back in, in the 60s. Well, this was 69. Um, but at the same time, I can I could see that this kind of, the story was slightly romanticised because obviously it has a happy ending, sort of happy ending. But the new one, I liked it also because it was like a remade version. It was more polished, but it had a bitter ending. It was more realistic. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I just loved them both. And then in the old one, oh my gosh, the main character, I cannot stand the little annoying, self entitled little girl. I just like, oh, I'm gonna speak to my lawyer. I got a lawyer. A lawyer. I'm like, just shut up. I just could not stand her. You know, like, oh, I'm gonna do it my way, my way. It was just really annoying. Whether the new girl in the new movie instead, she was a little bit more. Maybe more mature, more modern. I don't know how to explain it. Slightly different. She was still annoying, but not as annoying as the the, the old one. To make sense, I mean, she like the had old more poise. Uh, is the way. I feel yes, she had a little bit more class. She was less rough. But then I don't know. The first one was more realistic, and the new one, she felt less realistic. However, in the new one, I liked more the two characters, um, Cockburn, Rooster Cockburn, and the Texas Ranger. I think uh, love like, the uh, La- La- uh, La- beef. beef. The beef, yeah, I like them better in the second one other than the old one because they look more realistic. I don't know. That, that's like my impression. Um, well, I think.
0: Um, I mean, first of all, Glenn Campbell is was a country and western singer. He was a oh, musician. he okay. played the first the beef, and apparently there were problems on the set anyway because he wasn't very prepared apparently, and so, um, and I sit there say, um. I when I when I think of to grit, I remember it coming on TV and I've only I've only seen the point where she falls into the snake pit. Oh, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I always remember the snake pit part of this movie. I don't remember anything else of it. So revisiting, it was quite interesting. And I remember when John Wayne won the Oscar. My grandfather says, I can't believe those goddamn city slickers finally gave an Oscar. No, gave a statue to John Wayne. We deserved one long ago, and all he had to do was put a fucking eye patch on his eye. And that's did. <laughs> <laughs> so I always, remember, <laughs> I always remember like Rooster Cogbird and John Wayne. And so the thing is, I'm not a big Western fan anyway. I've seen bits and pieces. I've seen I grew up with gunsmoke, but I mean that's something else here and there. When I the only western i can think of that i actually own or actually watch was *Cat baloo with jane um with jane fonda and um lee marvin and i really love that movie and i think it's one of the fantastic and it has stubby Kane and nat king cole in it and you know i've seen other ones i've seen paint your wagon if you ever want to you know have your eyes bleed and your ears bleed listen to Clint Eastwood sing (laughs) 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 for that seeing seven brides or seven brothers which I think is god-awful Oklahoma I thought was god-awful I've seen the musical version set in western times and I've seen like I've never really I know who John Wayne is but I've never actually sat through a John Wayne film so interestingly enough after I watched Two Grit. And I saw and I was well, watching John Wayne. I, I think he's very, very good in this. But I always found that his acting style was a bit bizarre. But then when I I decided to watch a couple of John Wayne films afterwards just to see if his acting style changed at all. And I had to sit there and say that no, his acting
3: he pretty much was the same
0: acting style and everything he did. You know. Okay. But, but um but as far as the film is concerned, I thought it was interesting to have old Hollywood. And the new Hollywood being yeah. merged together because you know you had Dennis Hopper who's new Hollywood, you had Robert Duvall, who is new Hollywood playing against John Wayne who is old Hollywood. So that was interesting to have, you know, and the different acting style. And there, I had to there and say this two grit. The first one has so many different acting styles. So you have this. It's being filmed like an old western from the fifties and sixties. So you have that because the director a lot of Westerns.
1: I I was going to say it's Henry Hathaway. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of the old style Westerns in it.
0: But, uh, but then you also had some of this new acting, like, these, like Dennis Hopper's acting and Robert Duval's acting is bloody fantastic. You know what I mean? And this is like the beginning of their career. You know, of course, they would go on to Godfather and, and Dennis Hopper would go on. Well, he he went on to do a lot of stuff. He did become a kind of a caricature of himself as he in his later life. After Blue Velvet, he became... You know, fuck Frank, Frank
1: Bruce and everything, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, after that, you know, which I think happens to a lot of actors. But to see him, at, you know, you know, this is his you know, I think he did Rebel Without a Cause just before the you know, earlier because so that was Rebel Without a Cause is what 62, 63.
1: No, so, I think that was in the 50s. Was that in the 59? Oh, uh he was uh, by this point, I think he was probably I think he was working with Corman at this point. I think he was mm-hmm. doing some stuff with Corman. And this is at the same time as Easy Rider, wasn't it? Around the same time. Yeah. I think it's the same year. Yeah. Yeah, It was
0: Easy Rider. So it was interesting to see that, you know, and the acting style between these, these new, you know, and when I say new Hollywood, what happened was, is that after the Hollywood system broke down, we got these new actors and it was about more about being real. you're, You're being the person instead of becoming the personality acting, you became, you are the character now. And there's all the method acting was all coming in at that time. So you know, so it's interesting to see that, um, but I have to agree with Kim Darby's performance. I think it was good enough, but it kind of reminded me of Haley Mills doing this, kind of like, you know, like a, yeah. a, a a young actress, but without like that that kid actor kind of thing, where it's kind of like you know, yay, you know, aren't we cute, sort of thing. And there's not there's not a lot of depth to children actors at this time. You know, if you look, you know, even when you look at, you know, stuff that we'll be covering next season when we deal, you know, whether it's Jack Wild and Puffin stuff or whether we're dealing with Oliver at the, it was the same time or whether we're dealing with um, even more serious tone act, you know, things that are going on, anti-mame or all the kid actors are kind of all the same. It's really hard to differentiate them. Margaret O'Brien and um, Meet Me in St. Louis or, you know, um, you know, all the other stuff that you can Think of, and your kid actors are always kind of the same. They always kind of lack that little bit of emotional depth. <laughs> and I figured that's probably, and I, and I think that Ken Darby is part of that. I don't think we got really got kids with a lot of emotional depth until like the 80s and 90s, right? so.
1: when we were traumatizing them on set. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. I just looked it up; Rebel Without a Cause was almost 15 years prior to this, so okay. Hopper had already been around a little bit, apparently.
0: But he changed his acting style. Didn't he go into didn't, was
1: Strasburg? Wasn't he part of the Strasburg? Yeah, of? I think he went into that with, uh, yeah. And then uh, he started doing the Corman stuff and that's where he linked up with Nicholson and all those people, so. Cool. But yeah.
0: I noticed his, his acting was a lot more realistic than I have seen before. And, it was, and then it kind of reminded me of what he did after that, back up into the eighties, then until Blue Velvet came out. So.
1: Yeah, he is fantastic here. Uh, the the you know, getting his fingers chopped off, and then his his uh, oh, his shit. death scene. Uh, it's absolutely magnificent. Like you said, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall is so good as Ned Pepper that in the remake, the actor Barry Pepper just did a Robert Duvall impression. <laughs> that was <laughs> we'll but, we'll yeah. get to that one in a couple of minutes because I was like, okay, he's just doing Robert Duvall. Uh, 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 but yeah John Wayne is you know he's John Wayne I've watched a few John Wayne movies this year because I watched this I watched the man who shot Liberty Valance
3: uh uh, I forgot he was in that
1: Rio Bravo uh I I watched a few of them this year because I was like you know what and I made a concerted effort this year because I every year and you know this is this is weird of course I'm a movie nerd who has letterboxed but every year yeah. I'll take a look at my letterbox. And like a couple years ago, I was like, I, the 1930s, I've not, I realized I had not seen a lot of movies from the thirties and forties. So it's like, okay, let me, let me watch more movies from the thirties and forties and get myself more, you know, uh, learn more about that, uh, about that era. It turns out I love a lot of them uh, this summer towards the beginning of summer. I was like, you know, I really have not seen a lot of Westerns and I realized true grit was coming up I was like, if I don't want to sound like a complete moron when uh, when we're doing True Grit, let me uh, let me watch some of these. So I, I pulled uh, I pulled out Rio Bravo, I pulled out High Noon, um, uh, Man Who Shot Liberty uh, Valance, uh, and started to cut. But you're you're right with Jay, with John Wayne. I'm noticing it is a lot of the time he's John Wayne is John Wayne. <laughs> he's not he's not doing anything. Uh, anything that uh that differently <coughs> excuse me maybe Vicky gave me COVID through text um, <laughs> uh but uh so where was I so yeah uh I've, I've I've started getting a little bit of a fondness for his work but yeah I'm noticing it is a lot of the same uh same old same old I watched some of his stuff from the 30s and I watched some of his more famous stuff I I um uh, the uh, Criterion sales going on, and when I was at uh, I was at Barnes and Nobles. I picked up a copy of Stagecoach. I haven't watched it yet, but I just picked that up a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to knock that out before uh, uh, you know, before long, probably this weekend sometime. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to grow my appreciation of westerns because I've only really seen like the Sergio Leone stuff before this and the Clint Eastwood stuff. So uh, I've been watching more of more of the Jimmy Stewart stuff, but yeah, um performance wise i agree on kim you know kim darby it, it's weird because in the 1969 movie maddie is more almost androgynous than in the 2010 remake where you would think that that would be something that we would do we would do something like that more recently mm-hmm. um as far as uh, as far as her performance yeah like you said she's just hey i, I i'm cute and i'm going to I'm going to get, uh, you know, I'm going to get under the skin of these, you know, these rough, gruff, uh, you know, bounty
3: hunters and. and sue the hell want... out of everyone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, starting, <laughs> starting to sue everybody. It she was
3: so uh, annoying.
1: <laughs> she, I mean, she did, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember now. Did she end up sleeping in the morgue in this one too, or was that just in the remake?
0: No, this is the remake she did, which I think um they added to from what I understand, they added that to It's not in the book either. So but here's here she just has to sleep with oh, the, the grandmother or the mother or the mother of the person who owns the house. I mean, I guess I under I mean it's kind of a difficult thing, I guess, because she might sound annoying, but if you think about a female in that time period to be it's able to fight for, yeah. you know, be I mean, you know. And to be a little girl and she's in charge of the family and her mother's, you know, she's doing, she's doing what her mother should be doing, really. And she's, she's the one that father comes to about running the, running the farm. And after he gets shot, it's up to her to do all this and then, you know, throw, throw her weight around, even though she doesn't have any much weight around. So I think that, and I'm trying to think of like a young actress that you could get away with doing this, but I can't think of one. In
1: that era? No. In that era, no. I can't think of anyone either. Like the only in that
0: era, I think of close to would be Natalie Wood, but she would have been too old by this time.
1: Like she would have been like the, the type of actress you would have needed would have been like Catherine Hepburn in the '30s. Yeah. Which by that by this point, Catherine Hepburn's in her in what her '40s or '50s. Yeah. So yeah, she would have been too old for uh, for the role too.
0: We need someone who's like spike spiky but strong and being able to be very very assertive.
1: It's strange that there were more of those in the more women like that in the thirties than in the (laughs) sixties.
0: Well, I mean, you gotta remember, we're kind of coming out of the leave it to beaver stage and we're kind of going,
2: you
0: know, Marilyn Monroe was huge, you know, um, in the fifties and then in the sixties, you know, we had, you know, the women roles started to change. I mean, we had what Faye Dunaway emerging out of this. She would have been too old for the part again. Or we still had these sex kids like Raquel Welch coming out of the at the same time. Maybe, so, yeah, Mamie Van Doren and all that. Or yeah. a serious actors, but your serious actors. even though they were in their twenties and thirties, looked a lot older and they were a lot more mature than what their ages were at that time period.
1: And yeah, this is uh, this is what a year or a year after Bonnie and Clyde too. So yeah, you bring up Faye Dunaway, that's a fantastic movie. Oh. If anybody anybody uh, listening to this hasn't seen Bonnie and Clyde with uh, uh, you know with uh, uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, absolutely go check that out. Uh, like stop yeah, the but, podcast now and go watch that. It's a
2: yeah, that was,
0: well, that was like <laughs> new, that was New Hollywood starting. That's back. Yeah. this is New Hollywood coming in. So got the so the sixties are a very weird time from like sixty five to seventy two, where you kind of got these old old ones being phased out and the new hollywood coming in and that's why you had like all these really <sighs> weird, all these really weird films coming out of that time as well because it's like they didn't know what to do because you know you had like these, this realism coming up with this realistic violence and this realistic acting and then you uh, then you had these other actors who are still trying to hold on to their you know
1: Yeah, the Shakespearean roots, the transatlantic accent and all that stuff. (laughs) So, yeah, on the one side, you had, like, the Laurence Olivier's, and on the other side, you had, like, the Marlon Brando's, you
2: know?
1: And I feel like we're kind of going through that again now, because I feel like what, what ends up happening is you get these great independent films, which you did in the 30s. Everything gets phased into the studio system. The studio system ends up running amok and basically, like, everything becomes the same. Everybody's getting tired of everything. A new medium comes along like television or streaming that completely throws a wrench into everything. And you get the rise of the independent artist, which you get again, which you had in the sixties with the, you know uh, the Dennis Hoppers and the Jack Nicholson's and the Martin Scorsese's and the Francis Ford Coppola's and uh, Cronenberg and those people all getting their foot in the door. And, yeah, now all those people who we were just talking about are now old Hollywood now. And the studio system again has co- has gotten to the point where everything is stale and now everything is bombing except for a couple of, a couple of things. And you're going to have to have that new crop of independent filmmakers that's got to come up and go, no, we're going to be the ones that are going to change the way movies are made, hopefully for the better. Uh, because I think that's what, uh, you know, the you know all those people in the uh, the you know the Woody Allens and Martin Scorsese's I think they all did was they changed uh, they got away from the you know I I don't want I don't want I don't even want to call out a decade for for having you know quote unquote bad movies because every decade has bad movies but the studio output in the fifties into the sixties started getting more stale and that and then you started getting the independent uh, filmmakers rising and I think that that's that's something we're due for again. Because the because right now, big studio movies are really really stale, and you're seeing it in the box office. People are tired. Indiana Jones massive bomb. Um, the Flash massive bomb. To so the Flash might have like completely crippled Warner Brothers at this point.
2: Mm.
0: Well, I mean, if you look at '69, I mean, we had what Hello Dolly coming out, which is like this great big Hollywood thing going against like Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice. Yeah. You know, and Alice's Restaurant and, you know, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mean, these are all kind of like butting heads against each other. And, and I
1: mean, when you talk about like old Hollywood at that point, Hello, Dolly, wasn't that George Cooper directing?
0: Yeah, it was.
1: George I- Cooper directing, Rosalind Russell. This is all like really old Hollywood. Like this is like people who were at their peak in the late 30s and early 40s. Mm-hmm you know so yeah you you definitely had that you know that that big butting heads uh moment at that point
0: well and we also had like sweet charity up against like the sterile cuckoo and all mm-hmm. the and they see horses don't they all the cindy La, cindy lamet started coming out around this time period so it's kind of like so there's kind of like this for hollywood studios didn't know what the hell to do and, and he and i guess and I guess that brings us back to John Wayne winning the Oscar. And I'm kind of wondering if that's the reason why they win the Oscar, because it's like the last 62 grits, like the last hurrah of Hollywood. And after this, no way, if, yeah. you, if, you, if you look at things that win from 1970 onwards, we're, you know, we are into this stand, you know, the Stanley of the Met films and, you know and all the other more realistic films are st- they're the ones that start you can taking- start
1: seeing William Friedkin Francis Ford Coppola those are gonna be the, the people that Polanski
0: watch. so yeah on.
1: Polanski well yeah Polanski at this point this he was already uh, he was already up and going because he had already made uh uh the Fearless Vampire Killers The Tenant um
0: Rosemary's Baby Rosemary's
1: Baby was, baby was the previous oh my god yeah that was the previous year that was the year before this so yeah I didn't even think of that yeah, it's no, it's it's like they were all kind of.
0: Movies. If you think about those, they were all kind of snubbed at the Oscars at that time.
1: Yeah,
0: where so this is like the last hurrah of Hollywood. And I guess that's what I, when I looked at your grade, it kind of reminded me that because it's like this is like the last the last link before well,
1: the Oscars. Uh, did you say it was your uh, it was your father that said you know they finally gave one to John Wayne or
0: my grandfather? Yeah, or your
1: grandfather. If you really, that's still a problem the Oscars have now. They, because for some reason, decades ago, they decided that they needed to, you know, the actors who didn't win that they loved back in the 30s and 40s, we need to give it to them now um, because, you know, who knows if they're going to be around and we want to be able to say, hey, John Wayne got an Oscar. And yeah, maybe John Wayne did deserve it, maybe for Stagecoach, you know, or, or, or something else. Or a Quiet Man or... Or The Searchers. Mm, they that. gave it to him now. And what they keep doing is they keep kicking the can down the road now for other people. And I, uh, recently I was on, uh, I was on the spoiler room uh, podcast with, uh, Mark Krawczyk, who's, uh, you know, guests occasionally here. And we were, uh, we were discussing murder on the Orient express and we looked at that year's Oscars because Albert Finney was nominated, but didn't win. And when we looked at that year's Oscars, you had uh, nominations for Jack Nicholson for Chinatown Uh, Al Pacino for The Godfather, Albert Finney for Murder on the Orient Express. And it was something, another one that was like a huge, huge seminal film. But what won was, uh, uh, God, I'm blanking on, Art, uh, Art Carney for Harry and Tonto. Yeah. And I was like, this is one of those years where they clearly decided to make the best actor uh, winner a lifetime achievement award because nobody talks about harry and Tonto anymore meanwhile all the other performances are some of the most legendary performances of their time i think it might have been it might have been maybe gene Hackman or something but, but you know the, the fifth, yeah because uh, he uh, did um the uh, conversation that year or is it yeah the- it might have been for the conversation yeah Yeah, I think it was for the conversation. I might be wrong on on the last one, but it was definitely Pacino. Pacino for The Godfather, uh, or Godfather 2. Nicholson for Chinatown. uh, And and then Harry and Tonto wins. Albert Finney for, you know, Murder on the Orient Express. (laughs) But yeah, Harry and Tonto ends up winning somehow. Yeah, it's still done to this day. I think they did it last year. I think they gave Jamie Lee Curtis an Oscar that maybe she didn't deserve because...
0: Well, I mean, I think previously when she was up for an Oscar, wasn't it for My Girl as a supporting actress?
1: Probably, yeah. I I, can... like
0: and because that that would have been too light a affair, even though it has well, Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin's death in it, which kind of surprised people at the time. But, um, but I think you know, but they couldn't give her they couldn't give that because that was a bit of a, I mean, I think the reason why <laughs> I wasn't. There wasn't there a huge scandal with uh what's her name winning it for my cousin Vinny? You're like what?
1: Marisa tome yeah, yeah. Marisa Tome. Which the 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 uh the joke was that Jack Palance might have read the wrong name. Which mm-hmm. no, we we learned uh, we learned from Warren Beatty two decades later that if that does happen, they're gonna fix it immediately.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean.
0: And it's sad, that that, in- Marissa Torme is quite a decent actress, actually. Have you seen yeah. her in a lot of other stuff after that? She's quite a decent actress. Is that you kind of wonder if my cousin's in okay. Or even Jack Palance in um uh city know, slickers. City Slickers. Uh, city Slickers is a good movie. I'm not taking anything away from him, and he's very good in that. But I've seen him in a lot better performances that were totally overlooked. So and you're like, oh, he's gonna die soon, so we might want to give him this.
1: That, I think that was, the, I think that was the thinking with Jack Palance in That one is, yeah, it, this is this is his his moment. Let's give it to him. And I
0: think they learned their lesson when you look at things like, um, you know, um, Itch Hitchcock, who never won an Oscar mm-hmm. ever. Alfred Hitchcock's never won an Oscar.
1: And the only the only picture his the only movie his to win best picture. He did not win best director for
0: that was Rebecca. Okay. Yeah. And then if you look at his whole takeout to this day, every single director in our world and in previous our world always pulls their hat down to over Hitchcock is the reason why they've gone into directing. So what does that say? Is that, that's kind of a, that's kind of a bizarre thing when you think about the whole thing. Why? I still would like to know why. Why didn't he ever win?
3: I've got a question about this. What's so, up? In, right. So you're discussing the nominations, etc. Uh, it appears, obviously, I don't really know how the way it they were, work, they work, but it, they appear to me that this is a kind of like a political game, yeah. like a kind of like a strategy thing rather than really someone or some director or some movie really deserving an Oscar. It's kind of like, oh, we're going to do this because, because, because. So there's all this strategy and politics that are involved, which is kind of like makes me feel like, does it really matter if someone won an oscar or not like when you say like hitchcock never won one does it really matter because we know that this is like a polit- polit- politic games um well but, but it, kind of, it kind of works on
0: a financial thing as well because if you notice any film that tends to win the oscar they tend to release it and then the oscars come out and if it wins they'll release the film fully so that more people will <laughs> come and go and see it
2: what?
3: Okay,
0: well, okay. So there are, is a benefit also for Netflix. Netflix Netflix and Amazon Prime have kind of ruined things a little bit on this go because we are now getting their films are able to be nominated now. So oh,
2: I see.
0: so you know, whether they get their box office, you know, pushed through like they used to. An Oscar. And I think because of the politics game and the way that Holly Hollywood's starting to be perceived. I think the majority of people are kind of latching on to the whole game. So if you look at the Oscars, they're not as highly watched as they used to be.
1: Uh, I think and- part of it is um, – uh, it, uh, it, I, I think there, there, you do have to have some quality. Like there has to be some quality to it to get nominated for the Oscar in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I mean even you know, Martin Scorsese only won once. And you, you could argue he should have won in 1980 for Raging Bull, which I think he should have. Um, yeah, but it, we' it? Or for, and, and for good in 1990. So yeah, there's two that he should have won right there. We didn't give it to him until it departed. Um, I, I, I think a lot of it is we want to make good on these actors not or these actors these directors not getting it at the time because I think you do it I think it is like I, I think it still means something to a degree because to be an Oscar winning director, I think still does carry weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that oftentimes now they're, they're, they're not receiving it for the work that they should have been receiving it for. I think that's what we're running into. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think are, we just,
0: yeah. I mean, the Oscars are also voted by people who have won an Oscar and people who are in, in the industry where if you look at things <laughs> like Golden Globes or people choice awards or the one that the, um, publishing people give out. If you look at those, that's why, um, and sometimes, like, you know, this normally these other awards come out just before the Oscar. So sometimes I wonder if sometimes these might be influencing what's going out here, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Because, you know, I mean, the Golden Globes are a bit weird because what they've done is because they include television and everything else that, but they've noticed that they've done these subcategories. So that way people like, Madonna can win an Oscar for, I mean, win a, an award for Evita, where she's never going to win an Oscar
2: for Evita, you know. Yeah.
0: Where you know we have the comedy and musical section, best actress in a comedy musical, or best actor in a comedy or musical, you know, sort of thing. Um, so, but what's the the, the Screenwriters Guild? I think what one am I thinking of? That's um, it's actually more prestigious and kind of a bit more less. Well, there-
1: there is, there's the SAG Awards, there's the WGA Awards, but they, those are all the Guild Awards. Those are all the separate, you know, the, the Director's Guild. I don't know what other one you're thinking of. It, mm-hmm. there's, there's the Golden Globes, there's the Oscars, there's the various, like, Critics Circle Award, like the New York Critics Circle, the Los Angeles Critics Circle, San Francisco Critics Circle. And sometimes they can dictate who's going to win the Oscar as
2: well. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's like, if all your critics are agreeing on one thing, then you can pretty much...
3: This is what I mean. It's political. How genuine can you trust this if you know that there are certain rules in the way they play it? Like, all the critics agree on something. What if the public didn't like it? It's then the critics say differently. Like, for example, when I choose a movie, I never look... Uh, I mean, I'm different. I'm weird and obviously I don't have all the technical knowledge you guys have. But if I choose a movie, like, I represent the the, the average person who doesn't follow anything. So I don't look at the critics online and I do not look uh, at the Oscar, whatever, because I'm, they don't come to me because I know that the, they might say, oh, my God, this is one award but because I know it's there's politics behind it and kind of like, well, does it really matter? There might be good movies that never won an award well, and the-, the critics, they might not necessarily agree with what I like. So do you well, see, they- I don't know. Yeah, but there's a different,
0: there's also the thing is that if something's too popular, it may not be worthy of an award, which Steven Spielberg had a big problem with. When you look at things like E.T. and these great big, huge monster yeah. movies that he was making, you know, not monsters, yeah, but yeah. about these huge monster hits. And basically, you know, he had to make a film about the Holocaust because it's an important film. That's why, I mean, Schindler's List is a great movie. I'm not taking anything mm-hmm. away. It is a great movie. It's something yeah, that... Yeah, yeah. Everyone should see it because it is a fantastic movie. Whether you want to see it more than once is another question. Yeah, The only, you, the only time I can think of a huge Hollywood blockbuster to win an award would probably Titanic.
3: Thank God, I love Titanic. Everybody who talks about it in, in popular, all my friends are like, oh my gosh, you watched Titanic. I love it. What can I say? I just love it. <laughs> but, it,
0: but, it is, but it is one of those movies that was a huge box office success and normally these yeah. huge boxes of success win stuff for cinematography or yeah. they win special effects or they will win an Oscar for best original song or, they win, a, or win an Oscar for, you know, our direction or something like that they don't normally Mm -hmm. win the best picture award so i you know that was a bit of a i was surprised by that winning sort of thing
1: but then i I mean i wasn't surprised by that winning because it was it's it's um because it was a juggernaut that year and everybody basically everybody liked it la confidential should have won but
0: Mm -hmm. um that's why i'm saying that normally i would say before titanic though Normally, those big box office pleasing, you know, pleasing films, they might get a nod, but it's very rare that they would win Best Picture. It would, be, it would have been something like La Confidential, which is normally like the well, normally because I mean, if you look at most, you know, if you look at like when ET came out or when um, some of the other Spielberg films that came out that were huge, and they never even not The Color Purple was another one that you know, but that that, that had that had a lot of difficulties when that movie came out because let's just sit there and say that black men weren't very fond of the color purple in the way that they were portrayed so that created a lot of problems for them we discussed
3: this in a previous podcast and
0: it didn't help that margaret avery decided to speak out in the voice of the lead character and you know like an uneducated black woman and wrote a letter like she was you know, Uppi Goldberg's character, which kind of soured a lot of things <laughs> kind of purple with Purple*, Mar- which is like I was like Margaret Avery, what the hell are you doing? He's <laughs> like you played Pug, <laughs> like, and she's like I, you know, I was I, I, like, you know, I a like to win the award, and this is the way that she's written the letter. <laughs>
2: like, what are you
1: doing?
0: So, but so that that had a lot of problems, basically. Um, so that might be the reason why things like *The Color Purple*.
1: Well, I remember you, if, if you look for it, you can find the footage of when they were doing the Oscar nomination, or the Oscar announcements for uh, the 1977 Oscars, and Steven Spielberg and his crew are sitting there expecting Jaws to get nominated and it doesn't. And you see them like throwing a bit over it. <laughs> I mean, I do like watching the Oscars
0: when a person thinks they're going to win and they don't win, and you see the look on the face. I do like that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that is, there, is, there is
1: a little bit of unintentional comedy with that. Because um, you, you could tell that everyone thought
0: that such and such was going to win. And then someone else totally wins and every, by surprise. You get these surprise votes every once in a while.
1: Well, I mean, the Oscars did themselves no favor two years ago. Uh, if you remember, they, they that was the one year they decided that year for whatever fucking stupid reason, even though they don't know what's in the envelope, because it's, it's done by an outside company who keeps the envelope sealed until it's open. They don't know who's going to win it. But everybody thought that, Chazwick, that Chadwick Boseman was going to win Best Actor, posthumously, to the point where they moved Best Actor to be the final award announced that night. Usually it's Best Picture. They decided this year, they were so certain it's going to be Chadwick Boseman. They were moving it to the, uh, to the end, and then Anthony Hopkins wins. And everyone was pissed. And I think had you not done that, yeah. had you not moved it to the final award of the night, if Anthony Hopkins would have, you know, Anthony Hopkins would have won and everyone, oh, well, you know, whatever. But the fact that you went out of your way to change the structure of the Oscars made everybody so think young. they're going to, they're going to celebrate this man at the very end. They're going to celebrate him posthumously at the very end. And even Hopkins was surprised. Like, ah, I didn't think this was going to be me. <laughs> what, were, uh, what was, was Chadwick up for? I don't remember I can look it up real quick <laughs> it wasn't Black Panther was it? I don't think it was Black Panther
0: okay that's good
1: <laughs> I <laughs> think it was like a couple years after Black panther let me uh let me see uh Chadwick Bozeman and look up the uh, the Oscar real quick um, mm. but uh Anthony Hopkins won for the uh, the father. Yeah, Coachman. I mean,
0: when I think of the Oscars, I always think of Kate Winslet and the TV series called The Extras, written by Ricky Gervais. I
1: yes, I love
0: and that series. Have, and there's, there's one part, he's in, he's playing he, Ricky Gervais is an extra, and he's an extra in all these other films. And at one point, he. Kate Winslet's filming a film and he's one of the extras and he asked her why she's playing this character. She goes, I'm a nun who's been raped, I've been raped and I'm stuck in a hol- in the Holocaust. She goes, I'm guaranteed an Oscar this
1: year
0: <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to die at the end of this film.
1: <clears throat> and if you look, at, if you look at a lot of your Oscar
0: things, there, there are some guarantees that you might be up for an Oscar. If you just figure yourself like Nicole Kidman in The Hours, she put on a fake nose. Or if you're, or if, you know, or if you, in a, you know, Holocaust film, tend to guarantee, like, some... Um, at least some, a nomination. A nomination, at least. If
1: you're playing someone who's developmentally challenged, you're going to get nominated. No, or, maybe okay. not anymore.
0: Yeah, maybe not. Well, nowadays, it's, we wonder if they can get actors. They might have to, you know... If you're playing... I don't know if you can get do Beautiful Mind now, because you might have to hire an autistic actor now to play yeah. those things. Or, or you die at the end of the film. That always helps.
1: Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the
0: uh, the uh, nomination the Chadwick Boseman got. Well, I can understand why he didn't win. For, that movie didn't win. I mean, it's an okay. It's a, it's a stage deduction, which the film feels very stagey. You know, when yeah. sometimes they take a play and they kind of film it for movies and you get like a stagey version of it. It kind of felt like that. So I can understand that.
1: Yeah, or in the case of Leonardo DiCaprio is another one that uh, guaranteed him an Oscar. He had to go get raped by a bear.
2: Yeah. <laughs> raped by a bear.
1: Everybody <laughs> knew he was going to win that year. I, to the point where I, I was working in a sports bar and they put it, they put on the Oscars and turned on the sound because like, it's Leo's night. Everyone was excited and it, it, it happened. That would have been another one of those years where if, it, if Leo didn't win, everybody would have thrown a fit. Well, it's a bit like when Will
0: Smith slapped um, Chris Rock and everyone knew that Will Smith was going to win. There was there was that feeling that oh he's gonna win anyway it doesn't matter what who he slaps you know be,
1: well it's already decided it's already in the envelope <laughs> so at yeah. that point it doesn't matter
0: the thing is is like but everyone kind of knew he was gonna win no one was surprised when he won
1: oh yeah they were gonna give it to him for King Richard anyway yeah because like, I, I feel like this was the year they were gonna be like yeah let's give it to Will this year because we were gonna give him one anyway at some point
0: this I also think is like maybe to stop him to stop trying to make these. Films where he wants to be known as an actor, so he'll go back to action movie movies, so they can start making money again in his films. Maybe that's
1: it. Yeah, here you got your Oscar. <laughs> now go go back to you know. Now, okay. Don't turn up your nose at Independence Day three. <laughs> <laughs> you got your Oscar now. Yeah, you got your damn Oscar. Now go 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 do Men in Black four. Legend two. I'm a legend two. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is coming out. So.
2: Yeah,
1: we are going to be getting an I Am Legend too. We'll be talking about that soon. Was it next month or two months? Yeah,
0: next month, actually. Yeah.
1: So. Oh, that's right. We're on Make Remake.
3: Yeah,
1: make, <laughs> we should be talking about True Brit.
3: <laughs> Our last Make Remake of the year. I've got, I've got another question. <laughs> so we're t- we're talking about nominations, right? So nominations are about characters. So you were talking about John Wayne and, and like earlier on. And you were saying that the fact that John Wayne tends to have the same character represented in every movie, he mm-hmm. just does that. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, obviously we, we joke and talk about it, but is it a good thing or a bad thing? Because sometimes when uh, an actor is really liked and he plays the part all the time, whatever movie, it's kind of like fits in that role and then people like it and it's kind of recognised and it becomes like a sort of, um, I don't want to say stereotype, but like an archetype. I don't know how to explain well, it. it's uh, called typecasting.
2: The, well, John yeah,
3: Wayne- but then...
0: John Wayne, I think, with him... What do you an, think?
3: He was an American institution.
0: Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you look at someone whose career's 30s on up until 69. So you're looking at someone with, you know, a, a good career here. And, mm. you know, and he was stalwart and steady in what you got. So I think for him, um, it worked well. And I think with him, he knew... What he was good at, and he knew what he was bad at, and he stayed away from what he was bad at. So for him, it worked very, very well. The problem basically is if you do get an actor who does give the same performance over and over, and they 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 go above their station, where
3: say oh, see, so it doesn't it doesn't. Fit so anymore, I think it, yeah, so
0: I, you know, and but the thing is, is what's difficult basically is, is that. We do get fantastic actors who will do a great part. Dustin Hoffman, fantastic actor, does Rain Man. Everything becomes Rain Man afterwards. Um, Robert De Niro kind of has become a caricature of himself now. Um, Al Pacino is a bit of a caricature of himself. Christopher Walken kind of tends to become a caricature of themselves, but they're great actors. But they do they something happens and they get stuck in one role and it kind of take overtakes. Everything they do from that point forward, I don't know if that's the actor or this is what Hollywood wants. I'm not yeah. quite. I
3: that. think it's more oh, what Hollywood interesting, wants interesting. because, like,
0: uh,
1: when you when you um, you know uh, the older actors, you like in the third, Bela Lugosi did not want to be stuck being Dracula for the rest of his life. By the end, I think he just or or didn't want to be just a horror star for the rest of his life. He wanted to do other stuff. And if you look at that period after 1931, after Dracula, he'll show up in a WC in a couple of WC Fields comedies. He'll show up, you know, in different things. But Hollywood didn't want him to do that, so they starved him back into becoming a horror guy. They're like, "Well, we're not going to let you do anything else because no, you're a horror star. You make us money as Dracula. Yes, that's what you're going to do." And I think that's part of it. I think it's a big part of it. De Niro, I don't think it, up until the last two decades, I don't think it really hit him that hard because I think he was always looked at as a <clears throat> as the consummate actor.
0: Um, I, think I think De, it's De Niro just the last might be doing too much. I think one point. I think I don't know if he was he wanted to save a lot of money at one point. But I think he just cashed in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, so he was doing a lot of stuff. So I don't know. You know if that's because of that or, I mean um jack nicholson's probably one that can t- t- tend to start dialing it in after. after
1: after the shining he everything was crazy jack now
0: yeah because he knew he could make money of that
1: or maybe it was uh, after after one flew over the cuckoo's nest seemed to be crazy jack after that but
0: then, there, a are, beautiful movie. then there are other people who had promise in the career like if you look at I'm, i'll take Elvis presley you know and i know that we'd look at his acting kind of odd but if you'd think things like jailhouse rock or kid creole Mm-hmm. Where well, there's still a lot of promise there, but then he goes to war, you know, and then he goes get drafted because I think that was the way Americans need to get the shaky mm-hmm. hips off the screen. I'm not quite sure how political that was that he got drafted, but it seemed to come at a good time when to get rid of the controversy behind him. And then when they brought him back, he did a lot of mindless movies and some of them are enjoyable and some of them are got off or whatever but they put they put him into this mold situation and then of course in 69 same year as this he decides to do a series. he wanted to go back he always wanted to be considered serious and so they put him in this really bad film called Charo. <laughs> So and unfortunately that kind of put the casket on those levels like okay we'll show you and then we're gonna we're gonna release this film and basically not publicize it and this will show you that you'll never be what you want to be now whether he got promise or not is hard to say but we knew that Hollywood's making movies, making money on all these other films, so they can do that to you as well. But then you get, um, and then you get things like, let's take Sally Fields in her day. You know, we got the Flying Down, we got Gidget, and so, forth, so on and so forth, and they are always putting her in these, like, really ridiculous things. And she basically had to fire her agent and fire everyone around her to do Sybil.
1: Yeah, and Coal Miner's daughter. Wait, was Cole Miner's
0: daughter her? Um, she did, uh, no, Norma Rae. Uh, okay, yeah,
1: it was Norma Rae, okay.
0: Ray. And because of that, Sybil, <clears throat> she had to do all that to be taken seriously because no one thought of, you know, no one thought of her as a serious actress. And of course, after Sybil, not, you know, and then she won the Emmy and stuff like this, and everyone was an accident. Fantastic film, I'll give her that. And she becomes a serious actress after that. But Hollywood didn't want that. So you know, so she is doing these one note performances because that's what she's being hired for. Sandra Dee's another one kind of, I guess, who's a big actress at that time, and they're you know they're hired for that role, and that's what they're going to be hired for, and they're never going to let them break out of that box. There's very few that can break out yeah. of that box, you know. Um, men, so another thing is men have an easier time of breaking out of that box than women do sometimes. It's changed, it's change. but if you look at old Hollywood and um, at that time, you know, you got James Stewart and Kerry Grant and being able to do a bunch of different stuff, what they wanted to, and be able to chop and change and do what they wanted. But if you look at other people of that time, um, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, or whatever like that, and in the beginning of their career, if you look at Betty Davis's career in the beginning, she was giving a lot of different ways to do her character. Then, when the fifties happened, basically she kind of got stuck with All About Eve, and well, then even she
1: though- she became a ha- she went into exploitation for the rest of her career.
0: Precisely, um, and that basically has to do because she's a woman. And the other thing is, like, women tend to age out at the age of thirty-five at that time as well so that doesn't help matters much or joan crawford you know she's <clears> never <throat> was taken seriously until mildred pierce and, my, and it's still you know it's still considered was joan crawford ever the actress and should she have won the oscar anyway for mildred pierce even though it's an excellent film a film that's well worth watching but the question is you know you know
2: oddly enough it's
1: another movie i just picked up on the criterion sale it was mildred pierce i've wanted to see it for a long time i've never seen it
0: oh excellent i highly recommend it brilliant film and joan crawford's very very good in it but at the same time you do you know you do have well the, the big the big war between betty davis and joan crawford is betty davis was an actress and joan crawford was a movie, star. And, <laughs> a movie star and a movie star sleeps her way to the top and an actress gets by in her acting <laughs> so
2: <sorry.
3: laughs> for oh. these have you seen that series that that was made called the feud I think I've, I've not seen it i've
1: heard it's great i i've not uh, seen I've,
3: it. I've actually watched it i really liked
1: it <laughs> um th- there's another i'm looking up the oscars that year and um you could see again the 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 best picture that that same year that John Wayne won for best actor was Midnight Cowboy.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: you talk about there's another new Hollywood movie that year and uh, Midnight Cowboy by the way, phenomenal movie. Um,
0: homosexuality and prostitution male prostitution I mean uh, 1969
1: that's a lot Shit,
0: yeah. and you know you know pushing and pushing the envelope. Phenomena movie
2: So
0: And you kind of wonder Did did that win Did that win Any Oscars Midnight Cowboy
1: Midnight Cowboy won Best Picture that year Um, Dustin <laughs> Hoffman was nominated
0: John Voight nominated
1: Wasn't he? Uh, oh John Voight and Dustin Hoffman Were both nominated Yeah
0: And Robert so, Redford Was Robert Redford and Paul Newman Nominated
1: for Butch Cassidy At the same time the same year I don't know if that was the same year. I don't see Butch Cassidy here.
0: Oh, cause that came out in 69 as well, but it might've came out.
1: Oh wait, before. no. Butch Cassidy was nominated for best picture, but no, the best actor nominations were uh, John Wayne for true grit. Well, he won uh, Richard Burton for Anna of a thousand days. Doesn't happen to John Voight, both for midnight cowboy and Peter O'Toole for uh, goodbye. Mr. Chips uh, best actress uh, Maggie Smith won for mm-hmm. uh, for miss Jean Brody. Genevieve Bujold for End of a Thousand Days, Jane Fonda for They Shoot Horses, Don't They, Liza Minnelli for Sterile Cuckoo, uh, and Gene Simmons for The Happy Ending, and then uh, the supporting Gig Young wins for the uh, They Shoot Horses, Don't They, Goldie Hawn wins for Best Supporting Actress for Cactus Flower, but, um, but yeah, I'm not seeing any... Uh-
0: So that pretty much shows you that basically, (laughs) new Hollywood's taking over. So this is is the last hurrah for old Hollywood.
1: This, yeah, that really is. Butch Cassidy won for best screenplay, Mm
0: -hmm. and And best original song as well. Didn't raindrops keep falling on my head? Probably won for
1: best original song. Probably (laughs) wait, best original score. It won for best original score. Best score of a musical was Hello Dolly. Best original song was raindrops keep falling on my head. So, yeah, it's – and, yeah, Hello, Dolly and Butch Cassidy are both both win for best score, one for best score of a, of a motion picture, not musical, and one for best score for a musical. So, yeah, there's – you could see the battle kind of – the battle lines kind of being drawn. It's a weird – man, maybe maybe we should just do a whole, a whole episode on 1969. <laughs> just... well,
2: the, the, the
0: craziest thing, <laughs> if uh, you look at the best song category, Glenn Campbell was up for Sugar It. But if you think raindrops keep falling in my head, but if you think of the song from that same time, is Everybody's Talking from Midnight Cowboy. Everybody's Talking. Now. Yeah. And
1: that's not nominated.
0: That's not nominated. And that's the song that lived through, that lived past all the first movie song. So, yeah. I just think that sticks. Well, before we move on I guess let's see how many stars you give this David how many stars do you give to grit from 1969
3: I would give it a four I liked it I really liked it What about
0: yourself Joe
1: uh four and a half I really really like it uh John Wayne's fantastic uh, I mean there is you know pardon the pun there is a grittiness to him in this that I didn't see on some of his other movies and this just felt after seeing more of his movies over the last couple of months and it, again I admit He's been a blind spot for me. Um, this has been the best performance from him that I've seen so far, even though it is very similar to what he's done, but this felt more, felt more rugged and real than what I usually see him do. I'm going to give this, a, I'm going to give this probably a solid five.
0: Actually. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with John Wayne very much. I think mm-hmm. he is and everything like that. After I watched this, I did watch sons of Katie elder with him and um, Dean Martin. And I watched uh, The Searchers as well. And um, yeah, I sit there and say, I haven't, I just, I have an appreciation after seeing this film of him, which I think before I kind of thought it was, eh, I don't know why, because I have nothing to judge that on. It's just my preconception. So it's to me. But I, I could actually watch this film again and really enjoyed it. I, I was really engrossed in it. I wasn't expecting to be engrossed in
1: it, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Same, uh, same, same here. Uh, I mean, like I said, not, not be being kind of a novice to John Wayne. Yeah. I did not expect it to be this engaging to me Mm
2: -hmm.
1: though. John Wayne, the person, not exactly the best, (laughs) but we can't, you know, the guy's been dead for 50 years. What are we going to do? He, he he died not too long after this. So.
0: And um, yeah, I mean, he, he was part of the Reagan brigade anyway. He's very conservative. So. Well,
1: I mean, conservative is one thing. He was—he was also very much a racist. <laughs> from from oh, uh, an, an, an interview, uh, an, an interview that uh, surfaced recently from Playboy magazine uh, shortly before he died, he was, uh, yeah, he he did not have very kind things to say about minorities.
0: <laughs> so, but I can also sit there and say, not you know, this is no excuse. I'm not making excuses for him, but he was a man of his time, so
2: mm. yeah
1: yeah that's that's why when people when people were were, were coming up with this interview years ago go john wayne was a racist john wayne was a racist like well what do you want to do about it the guy's been dead for 40 years (laughs) what do you want to do about it now
0: and i would sit there and say that men of his age at that time probably all were yeah let's leave that there.
1: very likely yeah
0: doesn't excuse it but you know
1: well Rio, rio bravo was made because he felt that high noon was uh what, what conservatives today would call too woke
2: yeah and
1: so it. so he went to howard hawks and went hey we need to make an you know what, what would today be called anti-woke he decided to make an anti-woke western in rio bravo very good movie huh. <laughs> but you know exactly. just just goes to show a lot of the culture war stuff is not new
0: yeah uh, never has been and leave. it'll
1: be with us until we die
0: Is that each generation we like to think that we're more more original than what we really are.
1: But but the world is a
0: circle. (laughs) I learned that from Lost Horizon. (laughs) It really is. Well, this brings us to True Grit, which is a 2010 American Western film directed, written, produced, and edited by Joe Cohen and Ethan Cohen, or the Cohen brothers. Of course, it's an adoption of the Charles Portis 1968 novel, and it stars Jeff Bridges as Deputy U.S. Marshal Reuben J. Rooster Cogburn, and Haley Steinfeld as Matty Ross. The film also stars Matt Damon, Joss Brolin, and Barry Pepper. 14-year-old farmer girl, Maytee Ross, um, hires Cogburn, a boozy, trigger-happy lawman, to go after an outlaw named Tom Chaney, who has murdered her father. The bickering duo are accompanied on their quest by a Texas ranger named Love Beef, who has been tracking Chaney for killing a Texas state senator. As the three embark on a dangerous adventure, they each have their their grit tested in various ways. The film began in March 2010, and the film was officially released in the United States on December 22, 2010. After advanced greetings earlier that month, the film opened the 61st Berlin International Film Festival on February 10, 2011. It was well-received by critics, but particularly praised to its acting, directing story, musical score, and production values, with some deeming it superior to the earlier ad- adaption. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, but won none. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor in a Leading Role, for Bridges, Best Actress, Supporting Role, Steinfield, Best Art Director, Best Cinematography, Best Coffee Design, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Sound Editing. The film was released on Blu-ray and DVD on June seventh, twenty eleven. Before we get started on our conversation, let's cut to the trailer of Two Grit from twenty ten.
4: Mister Cogburn, in your four years as U.S. Marshal, how many men have you shot? Shot. Sure. Kill. Let us restrict it to killed, so that we may have a manageable figure.
5: Mr. Cogburn. What do you want, girl? I'm looking for the man who killed my father. The man's name is Tom Cheney, and I need somebody to go after him.
4: What's your name?
5: My name is Maddie Ross. Are you some kind of law?
4: i'm a texas ranger
5: (laughs) i know cheney it is at least a two-man job taking him alive marshal cagreb can we depart this afternoon we i'm going with you
4: congratulations you have graduated from marauder to wet nurse we're being followed what are we do, marshal You missed your shot, Cogburn. Just let this go. I thought you were going to say the sun was in your eyes. That is to say, your eye. You have a lot of experience with bounty hunters, do you?
5: That is a silly question. I am 14. You
4: can run on for a long time. Time for you to go home.
5: I don't like you. I will not go back, not without Cheney dead or alive.
4: Chaney's here!
5: Help me, Marshal.
4: Now what, Cogburn? Them boys, you don't think about the wrath that's about to set down on it. in <gunshot> this gang a rough lot. I do not regret shooting your father. I will kill this girl! Biggest mistake you ever made. <gunshot> And God's gonna cut you down. Help me. I can do nothing for you, son.
0: Hello, welcome back to the Literary license podcast. We're discussing two Grit from 2010. So Joe, what are your thoughts of this film?
1: Uh very much like uh, like David said when he was going through um uh, and comparing the two movies. Uh, earlier i think both of these are very very good movies i was surprised because i I had not seen either one of these i was surprised at how good this one was as well i watched the john wayne version i was uh, you know henry hathaway's version i was like all right fantastic um went to work next day got up put this in and i was i was floored by it because i did not think that a remake I, I mean, it's been done. Exactly that remake's are really, really good, but it's rare that a remake is this good and on par with a movie as good as the original True Grit. Hmm. Like you would think the, the the original is so good that you would think it would be almost impossible to uh, to do to do it justice with a remake. And this movie might even surpass it. Um, and I, I'm reminded by something that I was told in a um, in a screenwriting class about 20 years ago. Um, where uh, one of my uh, you know, my screenwriting teachers said, if I were to come in next week and I were to give each of you the same, uh, the same script, the same short script to go home and shoot over the next week for next week's class, and you were not to alter the script in any way, you're just to make the movie the way you want it, every one of you would come in and you'd give me an entirely different movie. And this is like David said earlier, you have a lot of moments where there is this, there there are some changes, but you have a lot of Not moments here. where it's the same dialogue, the same uh, <clears throat> you know, the same action set pieces, all that stuff, and it's a completely different movie with a, with a tone that is completely all its own, and it really really works. Um, the I, I, first thing I noticed: fifteen, it's like fifteen minutes shorter than the uh, than the original because they cut out everything with. Um, uh, Maddie and her father at home that's all gone Maddie going yeah. out and gambling that's all gone we start with a narration explaining the murder and it just it's just right away we're just going right into it um, it's I, I really really like the, the set design was beautiful I love the old west towns in this um, the movie looks beautiful the Coen brothers uh, did a fantastic job getting good performances out of people which I, you know getting a good performance out of Matt Damon and uh, uh, Jeff Bridges, of, of course they're fantastic actors. You're going to, you know, you're going to have no problem getting that uh, Haley Steinfeld really surprised me. I could see why she was nominated for an Oscar. Um, I did not expect her to be, if anything, her character was played. I feel differently. Cause I feel like, she, like we mentioned earlier, I feel like she had more poise. I feel like she had more authority in the way she spoke to people. Like with Maddie, you kind of felt the little girl aspect of it. Here, she physically looks more like a little girl. But as far as um, her portrayal, the way she stood up to Jeff Bridges, the way she stood up to Matt Damon, the way she stood up to uh, the guy she had to get the $300 from, she came off like yeah she's she's in charge of the room every time she walks in where you didn't feel I didn't feel that way with Kim darby mm. and nothing against Kim darby yeah but I just felt like just Haley Steinfeld made this role completely her own and blows Kim Darby out of the water
0: well, I agree with you because it's but I think it's also the um there's a more of a realism to who yes. um, which I think. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like an acting school girl. It just feels like someone who's lived this part and is this part. Yeah. No, I totally agree with her. And there's something about, um, even the ways she held her. I think also it's like,
3: and I, I think it's also the way that she's dressed as well helps. The dress, it was weird, if I may say. That there was the only thing, because when and I started watching her from the beginning, I thought, okay, there's something wrong with this character. I had to appreciate her slowly in the movie. And then at the end, I was like, oh my God, I love her. But if I start from the very beginning, I thought there was something off, maybe because obviously you watched the, the original movie and then you watched the remake and you're like, okay, in the original movie, the character was really annoying, but that makes sense in the story. In this one, she comes, the, the, obviously this new actress, and she gives me this vibe of trying to be a sort of, obviously, that's the impression I had, A sort of like a Adams family Wednesday wannabe, which I didn't really. Gonna... It's and and then it was like okay, but it's not too much. I was but just gonna say tiny, she looked like the Adams. That, that that's that's about she was trying to be like too serious, too like weird, and and then there were and I was like there's something off, and then she I went ahead I was like okay not okay I can get it now and I'll get it, but the beginning I was like no. Uh, but, but then I went ahead, and I was like, okay, now I get it. But at the beginning, I, couldn't, I, could not, I, could, I could not understand the role of this person. She was trying to be detached with no emotion. But then you see the emotions of the character. So I'm like, okay, you're detached because you have some mental health issues. Or maybe because, um, I don't know, you're trying to be like detached because you have to think about the money because that's the character she does. Or maybe because your father dies and you don't want to show emotion because you're weak. I was trying to figure it out. And then at the end, I mean, the more you go ahead, the more you see the emotions. Oh, my God, when she goes crazy in both the roles, like in, in both the movies, when she gets spanked by the guy <laughs> that she went like crazy I was like, OK, so she's human. She can scream and cry. So <laughs> you know, but at the beginning, I could not understand that.
1: Well, she's she's got to be strong willed. It's two entirely different portrayals is, is uh, yeah. what I, what yeah, I really yeah, like yeah. about the two films. Uh, because in the in the other one you get the you know in the original you get the sense that Maddie is trying to come off like she's went tough to hard. In this, and this and hard but in this one you get the feeling that she is hardened by this and, and I mean
3: yeah yeah you don't the, get him I didn't get him much at the beginning but then the more he went ahead the more I like okay it's fine get it. I think you get that I think you get that in the hanging
0: though. I think that kind of the characters, with so Kim Darby looks a bit shocked at the hanging where she kind of takes it all in, like, okay. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yes,
2: like well, I, mean, well, I
0: mean, if you do them sure. side, side by side, you know, the Kim Darby portrayal of this character, she gets the hanging, and she's like, there's like this startled look in her eye, like, oh my god, I've d- I'm watching this. Where the Stanfield um, Matty, you're looking at her, and she kind of sees it, and it's like, and? Do you know what I mean? Like, she's used to this. This is the life that she's used to. So, and I think that- <laughs> so 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 it's kind of so that I guess that's the difference between the Kim Darby portrayal because it's almost like she's more wide-eyed and this girl's kind of lived it sort of thing. Yeah.
3: A, with, also, with remember the father died, so maybe she's a bit hard well, of it, that.
0: But I think. But the thing is, is that um we're talking about two farm girls. First of all, living living in the open at this time period. I mean, the thing is, there's no such thing as innocence anyway. You see a yeah. lot of. You know, you're used to, like, killing your, co- you know, killing your crops. I mean, killing your cows and killing your, you know, things and people Chickens, dying. Yeah. You, you, you know, people, you know, you break a leg and you died at this time. You yeah, know
1: what you I might, mean? You, <laughs> might, you might have had four or five brothers or sisters who already died. Because yeah. back then they had ten kids because, yeah, not all of you were going to make it to adulthood.
3: Yeah. But the idea <laughs> is that she's more connected to the real things of life. Yeah.
0: And uh, I guess the kids' about character, it. you know. <laughs> I mean, in the Maddie character in both versions, we're led to believe that this is a strong woman who's, you know, that, you know, and this is what's kind of bizarre because even though there are supposed to be brothers and sisters around, and they talk, both, both movies talk about brothers and sisters, uh, but there's Maddie that runs everything when the father's not there, it's Maddie who the father goes to to make sure that everything on the farm is not the wife he's going to <laughs> in both True. versions. It's Maddie that's dealing with everything. So, and I guess with the Ken Darby thingy, I guess that, you know, for someone who's given all this responsibility and everything that that you have to encompass in this time period, that maybe the Stanfield Matty feels a bit more realistic in the approach, only because, yeah. you know, this is the woman that probably, you know, like, okay, well, you know, the fox got in the chicken, so I'm going to take my gun out and I need to shoot the fox. Yeah. Fox is not the sweet little thing that's coming into my yard, or we need to eat, so I need to, um, you know, I need, I need to kill the cow because we need to have food,
1: yeah. Whereas and the other Maddie, Maddie yeah, like
0: she makes those decisions. Where Kim Darby's character is sometimes it's kind of hard, Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, well, she felt more sheltered, the Kim Darby version, yeah. It's, I guess, I could pair them to Jodie Foster. Um, this is. You know, Kim Darby's Matty is Jodie Foster and Kendall Shoe. and this is Jodie Foster and the accused.
2: Yeah, you know, like, character. You
0: know, we're. You know, this person's a bit more. You know, this person's lived the life, I guess, and and made tough decisions, and. It's, you know, and the reason and the reason why this girl is because he makes these tough positions, she's in charge of the family. It's not the mother in charge. Even then when the mother goes, Oh, she needs to come home. No, I don't need to go home because I have to take care of the family. Mm-hmm. This is the Matty that we got in this version of it, which I think works a bit better. Where I guess with the Kim Darby Matty, when they said, Oh, your mom needs you home, you're kind of thinking that this can that Matty probably would go home. You know.
1: Uh, I don't know if either one of them would go home. I, I think they both have the, the the vengeance in them that they wanna they want Tom Cheney dead. I think in both versions, I don't know if she'd go home, but maybe she wouldn't be as standoffish.
2: Yeah.
1: I, although you know, there there is that great line of dialogue where in both cases, uh, uh, LaBeef tells her, "You know, I was uh, considering uh, considering stealing a kiss, but now I want to. You know, but now I you know I'm wondering about you know physically assaulting or like belting her or something and Uh, both times quick you know quick with like a rapier wit it's uh both would be you know equally unpleasant so in both in both cases they're willing to be um uh they're willing to to stand up to uh stand up to people but yeah i do i do get the feeling that the uh the Kim Darby version is a, is a, is a bit more sheltered, though. That's that's the sta- that's the thing that stands out to me about it.
0: I guess another thing I found thinking about it, which I didn't think about it when we were discussing the original film, is there's this weird flirtation going on between Glenn Campbell's LaBeef and Kim Darby's Matty. Almost like it's almost like he wants to court her, and then I mean, and the age difference kind of brings us up that where I noticed in the remake it's a different kind of thing. It's more about a battle of wills. It's not yeah. about, there's not, not about sexual tension or, yeah. it's almost like, because I mean, Kim Darby, and maybe I'm mistaking it, but didn't he kind of like make an advance to her or something? And she tears, she puts it down. It's like, no.
1: Yeah. But yeah, in both cases, he says, yeah, he makes a comment about stealing a kiss in both versions of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the big difference in the scene where he's, uh, you know, he's spanking uh, where the is spanking Maddie. It, I didn't catch it in the Jeff Bridges version, if he said it, but in the John Wayne version, he definitely says, you're enjoying. Yeah. It seems like you're doing that out of enjoyment or you're enjoying it too much. I didn't hear Jeff Bridges say anything of that nature.
2: No. so I
1: think they, they eliminated no. the, the, you know, the almost sexual connotation of it, even no. though at, in that time period in the, you know, what is this 1870s? Yeah, she
0: because, would have been married by that time. They were, they were married by 13.
1: Yeah, in the 18... Uh, I'm assuming this is the 1870s, right? Because I think there's references to the Civil War having happened. Yeah. So it's got to be post-Civil War. Yeah, they... Back then, because life expectancy was like 40, mm. you know? Uh, let, you know I, I looked it up the other day, the life expectancy in 1900 was like 47 years old. Yeah. So... Oh. So... Uh, you know, you had to marry young to have kids or the average life expectancy was 47. So I, so yeah, even though in that time period, it would have probably, there would have probably been some sexual tension between them.
0: Yeah. We're in in modern audiences. For some reason, we have a difficult time accepting what that time. I mean,
1: and this is where I, you know, I always have an issue. You gotta, you gotta be willing to accept that. Yes, it was wrong, but B it was, it was what was happening at the time. Well, so we- I mean, the
0: question is, was it wrong in that time period? Because at that time period, when your life expectancy mm-hmm. might have been forty, yeah, well, it's
3: it's it's, it's so- history. At the end of the day, it's history. It's what happened. I mean, well, what, this no, is a what, movie, what but what the I'm context. The thing
0: is, okay, nowadays, okay, we live longer, so we can wait longer to have children, and we can yes. wait longer to get married and stuff like this. But you know, if the normal life expectancy is forty at this time period. And basically, you can't really wait around until you're twenty to have kids because you're going to be dead before these kids even reach puberty if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a so it's kind of a weird thing. But yeah, you know, the thing is, I mean, you died you died from toothache in this day. You died from if you cut yourself. You didn't have antibiotics in this day. Antibiotics didn't come around into the 1900s. So. You know, you got Sepro, you died. If you got Chicken pox,
1: you died. If you got, you know, if you true, if, very
0: true, if you, if
3: I just googled, googled it.
1: it up, uh, the the U.S. white population expectancy in 1870 was
3: 46.4 years. Well that's the average to mince. Obviously, people would die even earlier. Yeah, there that. would be people
1: <laughs> who would. You know, so, so uh, you know that that guy she's haggling with is 37. <laughs> that guy she's haggling <laughs> with about the $300 he's 37 in that in
3: that year. Okay, And these days we think that that's young and maybe at the time it'd be like oh my gosh such an old person well, <laughs> yeah if they were old because you get to remember
0: <laughs> well, I mean this is before sunscreen and taking care of your skin so everyone looked a bit I mean I guess I mean I guess But the thing is you can take this today if you look at people in the 70s and you look at 70 actors yeah and you think, God, they look so old but most of them are younger than what you are now mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's like yeah. like they the old and they weren't
1: I was talking to someone at work about that because um, uh, I just turned 42 and uh, this this uh, you know this young woman at work was like you don't look 42 I'm like that's because you and I grew up in a you know it's because we grew up in a time period where we associate 42 with what people looked like at 42 in like 19 you know 1970 or 1980 Maybe, versus yeah. what people look like at 42 now. That's but you know, there's been so many advances in, in medicine and, uh, you know, healthcare, taking care of being able to take care of yourself, knowing what you're putting in your body, all that stuff. And you're going to look younger for it.
0: Even manual labor is totally different nowadays.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: And our, and our stress levels. Are-
1: <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I, you know, life expectancy in 1870 was apparently 46 years old. So yeah, it, it makes sense that at that time you're going to get married younger, you're going to have children younger, because the whole purpose yeah. is to get to to nurture them to the age where they can have children themselves and carry on your name. Well, I mean, if you have,
0: I think today, I think we live, I think eighty is <clears> their <throat> the average age now. I, I think, think for,
1: I think it's, uh, I think it's like seventy five in the U.S. or seventy six.
0: 70. So, so you take 76, so you got 76 years to live your life. Now, take 30 years out of that. Now, you got 46 years to live yeah. your life, all of it. So, yeah. You know, and you kind of would stop, you probably would kind of speed up the processes of where you need to be at each age than you would today, sort of thing, like where you can take your time a little bit. And who knows in the future, maybe if we live to be 100, God forbid, you know, then we probably we might not worry about having kids until we're in our 40s or. You know, you never know because you're gonna have all you have all the time in the world. So. or
1: who knows, you know, when when you know, because you, you see some people, you know, like you like you look at like Elvira, you look at like some people who are like in their seventies now and they still look like they're forty-five. You Barbara know, like,
2: Cranston.
1: Yeah, Barbara Cranston's 60, 65 years old and she looks like forty. Mm. So, you know, you get some of these people who um you know Well look at Jane Fonda. Yeah, Jane Fonda. 80. Yeah, Sophia Loren. Yeah, you know, still, you know, uh, Raquel Welch. Yeah. <laughs> Raquel Welch recently died. She still looked like twenty years younger than her age when she died. She and was like eight, eighty-six years old. She still looked like she was like in her late fifties.
0: And if you look at then, now let's take um, whatever happened to Baby Jane. Those actresses were in their forties. Yeah. Or here's a here's a better here's a better thing: <sighs> Golden Girls. We all love the Golden Girls. Do you realize that the Golden Girls, that when in the first season, that um, Bea Arthur and Rose are celebrating their birthdays because they just turned fifty.
1: Yeah, I was. Just, I was just gonna say that show was forty years ago, and Betty Davis just died, weeks short of her one hundredth birthday, last year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you when you do the math on that Yeah, those women were not as You know, they look a lot older at, in that time period Than what they actually were The Golden Girls, they were in their 50s That's how old they were And they were playing older than what they were They really were in real life
0: Yeah You know, and if you look at Sophia I mean, she was the youngest of them all <laughs> but, she was the oldest, but but her character was only supposed to be 67, 68, maybe 70 at the most When she looked about 80, 90 Yeah and this is just the 80s. This is 30, 40 years. This is 40 years ago. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I also like what I am uh, in True Grit also is I thought it was I don't know why they changed that Lebeef dies in the original and he lives, but it just goes off. He doesn't. Lebeef's character disappears at the end, doesn't he? Yeah. It's, kind of
3: like it's, only, Besides, like, yeah, it's less central as a rule in the story. At least that's yeah. what it feels like.
0: And I thought that was—I mean, he, hit, he hits his head, or uh, he does live. Um, Labeef doesn't live, and I thought that was interesting. But I also thought what both what I like in both films actually—I probably should mention before—I love the camaraderie that Matty and Cogburn had with each other. Yeah, the, there's this love and respectability for each other, and the way he—you know—way that he calls to her, like, but he almost—but the thing is. He's rooting for her in a way. He's like, yeah. he, and, and when and when she does, and when he thinks when he thinks that she's going to stumble or not live up to expectation, she comes out of the gate and she's right there. And there's this um, there's just ad- admirability and this respectability, and then you have this common love or common respect to each other to the very end. You know, like would you oh, say that he
3: would you say that he kind of takes the role of dead father, sort of? No,
0: because. I don't think it takes the father because at the end of the day, I mean I th- I think it's more the fact that there's this mutual I think it's more mutual respect. I don't think it's mm. a father's love or you know the lack of a father figure because I don't think Matty Matt I think the thing is I don't think Matty goes for revenge to because she's missing her father. Mattie's on the quest because this is the right thing to do. He stole our money. He stole, you know, the, mm. the gold piece. Our horses. Uh, yeah, the horses.
3: so it's it's a growth process basically. If that makes yeah, sense,
0: but but, it, but it's not it's not because you killed my. I don't. I think part of it's Killer father, but it's most like this is owed to us. He stole from mm. us. And I thought well, yeah, you know, but she, you know he yeah. stole the father's life from us, but I, I think it's a lot deeper than that because I also think that we have to think in this mentality that, you know, when you got people who die around you at such ages, and I think dying in the old West, probably, you know, being shot and stuff like this was quite normal anyway. We mm-hmm. I mean, have to remember that. I mean, this I mean, there was not a lot of law going on here and basically, you know, you know, someone coming to your farmland and killing you is, Very high on that. If someone wanted your cattle, they they would just shoot you. There's, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of polite society at this time, but you know, it was. I think this had all to do with the money and stuff like this. And though the father shooting the father is part of it, because the father did help him out, he was trying to help him out, and he shot him in the back or shot him in the front, depending on what story you're going with. But I don't think. But it she's not on the quest to find someone to replace her father. Well, that's why I don't... becoming
3: sort of. Do you think she may, then maybe she's becoming kind of her own father? She's taking that role of the father to take care of the family to know what she's right. She's like, I don't need any guidance in this but case. You... So maybe instead of being well, becoming like a sort of father figure, she's like, no, we are the same level because now I am. I don't know. I'm going to throw like a psychological well, idea. She, but, she
0: um, it's, it's a, it's a business
3: deal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, it put them in the same level. He, she hired
0: him. Hmm. And before this, I think that because of his job, but but I I do think that if you go on an adventure or a journey, anything, that's going to give you a connection anyway that you're going to remember to the end of your days. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it was the father figure because, you know, at at the end of it, and I think the reason why I think that because at the end of it, both the Kim Darby version and this one, there wasn't this thing where, please don't go, please don't go. It's like, our contract's done. You're going to lead your life. But because I have such respect for you, and in both versions, I'm going to give you a family plot here because you have nobody. Because forever, you are part of me because of this thing that we've been on, and that's
1: what I kind of got from
0: from both versions.
1: In the in the second version, I got more of a sense because there's a line of dialogue where she, uh, where uh, in the remake, she says something about her mother being stricken with grief. So I do get a sense that there was also maybe a little bit of, I have to avenge my father's death for the sake of my mother, who is now completely like a useless husk. Yeah. She's completely, she's completely destroyed by all this. So I get, I, I get that sense too. It's not just about stealing the cattle and everything. I think it's also, that's also part of it. Her, her family is, just completely destroyed now her mother like i get the sense in the second one that her mother can't function
0: yeah but another mm. thing i don't know how much the mother can, the a female can function on their own anyway and the money's very very important it's true too because the horses and the ponies and stuff like this and all that sort of stuff may seem a little frivolous and we don't quite understand but if this is your livelihood and this is gonna put bread on your table it's very very important And money is very yeah. very very important to come by those times as well. So there's that as well. So I think, I think it is embroiled, but I don't. Um, but I don't think that at any time that Maddie is looking for a father figure or has yeah. father respectability, because her father was a senator and Rooster. And another reason is Rooster Cogburn is a very hardened man by what he does and has a different moral code than her father. And so and her father being a senator would have a totally different kind of code. And so for her to replace Cogburn with her father would be kind of a it's kind of two people on a different end of the pole of the, the spectrum sort of thing.
2: Yeah.
0: But I do think <laughs> but I do think that there as his grit is being tested and her grits being tested, there's this mutual respect because yeah, the, the, way, yeah, yeah, the way that they were both after the same goal and and at the end of the day their goals kind of align you know? to a
1: point she wanted to make sure that there's also the 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 line of dialogue in both films where you know labeef and and, and rooster in both films say what does it matter to you if he's hung in texas and she is very prideful about no i that's and it, it's, it's kind of the right idea. that senator led an important life. My father was a small, you know, small farmer, and I want his. I want to know that this man died for what he did to my father. Like I want that that like importance paid to you know that you know I want my father. I want my father's death to be important. I don't want it to be in vain. That senator, it doesn't matter to his family because they are set. I want to know that justice was done, and I want to know that my family matters. And that's the sense that I got from that. Because that's why she wanted him brought back to her town to be hung. Because she was like, no, this is important. We are important. <laughs> we are human beings. I think that was part of it, too. Sorry, go ahead, Keith. I also think it also has the, the fact that
0: I think why Cook Coug- um, uh, Rooster aligns with her, anyway, because there seems to be this thing about Texas. Because you know, I mean, he says in both versions. I've never met a Texan who hasn't said that they didn't, they didn't stop themselves from, um, from drought, from drinking out of a horse's hoof print, and that was kind of thing. And the thing about there's this virtue, about the Texas Ranger, the Texas person, and and Rooster Cogburn's like doesn't want any of that sort of thing. I and mean, there's this all <laughs> constant pull. So obviously, there's this idealistic about Texas, and then and, and, and you know. Taking the outlaw and sending them to Texas for whatever may happen there is kind of not respected by Rooster anyway. Rooster's like, no, it needs to happen here anyway. Cause if for some reason there's this he has this thing about Texans and their grandioso beings and every there's a uh, or whatever. So there seems mm-hmm. to be a little bit of that going on as well. So that might help to the line them both. Cause he's cause Labeef is um, Rooster's always going after Lebeef about his Texasness or, yeah. or all. So, cool. but um, but I also, I also like the ending in this as well, where it shows her as an older woman. Because then again, you know, in the original, she doesn't lose her arm in the book, and in this version, she does lose her arm.
3: It's mm, more realistic. After the, I mean, that period, getting bitten by a snake, like a rattlesnake, and kind and of like, broken, I guess also the broken
0: arm situation, the point that you have to travel so far for help that probably by the time you got help this is probably what would happen this is normal yeah
3: yeah
0: if your local do- you know if your local doctor is 8 miles away you're pro- you know 10 miles away you're looking probably at a day and a half travel <laughs> to that doctor
1: there's uh there's also the way that the that the the epilogue to this film was shot with uh, the very the very long uh uh landscape shot of uh the cemetery with I got a sense that it was like Herbert Wise's The Woman in Black in some places. Like I wonder, like I actually wondered if the if uh, the Coen brothers actually wanted to pay tribute to to it because that's the sense that I got is some of the long shots if you guys have seen that the 89 version of The Woman in Black some of the long mm. shots there kind of reminded me of that. Uh, the second thing <laughs> You know, it hit me yesterday when I was watching this. In what universe was that version of Rooster Cogburn going to live another 25 years?
3: <laughs> oh, well, yeah. <laughs>
1: there was no way in hell he was going to live another 25 years.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm almost interested in reading the book and find out what his age is supposed to be in real in, in the book. And maybe in the book, maybe he does live past 25. But because of the... John Wayne version and the Jeff Bridges version, which is kind of old and craggly at the same time. That I'm kind of under the impression that he's 50 or 60, maybe, or around that right. Well, I mean, probably 40, 47, I guess, if that's life. the alcohol
3: and the blood. I mean, even if was He was drinking crazy. Even if you compare the
1: two performances, John Wayne literally died two, three years after 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 uh, the '69 version of uh, of True Grit, Jeff Bridges, thankfully, fifteen years later, is still with us. But it's just the portrayal of them. Like I could see the John Wayne version living another ten years, fifteen years, twenty years. The version of Jeff Bridges just feels so much more broken down. Yeah. Like I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that Rooster Cogburn living another twenty-five years. I just can't see it. I can't fathom would, it.
3: <laughs> you would have, you would have like happily switched the actors from one to another just to make it more. <laughs> 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 but,
0: but I mean, the thing is, is and this is where it's kind of thing. I mean. Maybe he's that old and thingy because he's so broken down and maybe he's only twenty-seven.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's
3: it's it. the it's it's the alcohol. I'm telling you. That's uh, what alcohol does.
1: Maybe maybe he's <laughs> maybe he went from uh from Jack and Coke to to you know screwdrivers and then let, let him live another twenty-five years. He's getting his vitamin C from the orange juice. <laughs> well <laughs> another thing that I found interesting as well, <clears throat> I didn't the
0: synopsis for the book, because I kinda like, you know. How different is this from the book because i'm kind of it was kind of interesting to read the book actually because the book sounds quite interesting because it's the way it's set up and you kind of get you kind of get the book in both versions because they kind of can't they can't you kind of get the whole thing but and this is what i found interesting in the book she said that she never marries but she's never had an interest in men so i wonder if she's supposed to be lesbian
3: I think I I think it's just the way she is that she's like a businesswoman, and then like, taken from the father, she just doesn't have that interest in general and sexuality and getting married. I mean, I don't see any necessarily because well, in,
0: in, in the book in the, in the book it says uh, in the beginning passages because I found like the opening mm. paragraph she goes you know she's, she's reflecting on the time and she says in the book she goes. I never had an interest in marriage or an interest in men, which has caused oh, which has okay. caused me to be an outcast among my fellow peers. See, this and is I, different. There's never a time when blah, and then it kind of goes into the story, and then it, so I, after watching the movies, and I didn't I didn't read this before I saw the movies, but then afterwards I kind of reflect back on it. It's just like, and then you do see her in the epilogue in this new version, where she is, <clears throat> you know, basically. a, an old maid I guess she's <laughs> friend, like, you know a woman who's never married with the one arm and at first you know I thought that you know maybe well she has one arm maybe she' nobody would want to marry her because <laughs> she has one arm because <laughs> you know I mean I you know I you know' I'm, I'm very surface at times but but then um but then like after reading that in the book I thought maybe and then I started rethinking both and they're you know, maybe that's the reason why Ken Darby had the shortest haircut, or whatever. Maybe this is the reason why she,
1: li- she seemed like I said at the beginning. She the seemed tomboy. a little more, a little more, yeah, tomboyish or androgynous.
0: And yeah. if you look at if you look at the character here, you know, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. Really, I she guess. says fourteen. Fourteen,
1: and the actress herself was was thirteen or fourteen when she played her.
0: But even when, yeah. uh, even when you see her as an adult woman, she—I don't know whether she's hardened or not—but you know there is a chance that maybe she looks at life differently than everyone else around her. Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, I—I I, I mean, in that in that time period, yeah, you're going to be uh, a little bit of an outcast. Uh, mm-hmm for you know if you're if you're being a homosexual you might want to keep it to yourself at that point because they, they like hell 25 years ago hell i mean people still get killed for being for for being openly gay now but back then it was almost acceptable mm-hmm. which is so strange actually um it's funny to I, be uh,
0: very very happy in her spinsterhood
1: yeah i mean it's it's also it's also weird because if she was 14 during the events of the movie, then in the epilogue, she talks about it was twenty five years later. She's thirty nine years old, and we're considering her an old maid, which I guess for you know when your life expectancy at that point is forty six, she only has yeah. seven more to live. <laughs> the average, yeah, you have on average <laughs> well. seven more years to live. Um, but I um, recently I watched a lot of the. Um, uh, a lot of the comedies of Thelma Todd and Patsy Kelly from the, uh, from the early 1930s. And uh, for, those, for those people who don't know, Thelma Todd was a comedic actress. She was in a lot of Laurel and Hardy movies and stuff like that. And uh, Hal Roach Studios decided to spin off and give her her own series. Uh, first with uh, uh, Zazu Pitts. And then when Zazu Pitts left, they paired her with Patsy Kelly, who was an open lesbian in the early 1930s. Which I don't like, that's got to just be like an insane time to be openly, openly gay and uh, either, you know, either male or female, it's gotta be a crazy time to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, and now we're talking about 70 years before that, you know, with the events of this movie.
3: So. Um, yeah. I, I, but I don't, I don't really see any particular hint or any, anything at all in that movie that kind of tells us, yeah, she might be a lesbian. I mean, maybe, okay, she's got a lot of the in the first movie, for example, she's got this androgynous look. I get that. In the second one, she's kind of like, they're very dark dressed and whatever. But I, I don't know. Again, this is obviously our perspective because we don't have anything objective to, to tell us anything. So we, we're going to buy opinions. But what if she's just asexual? She's just not interested. She said it hard life. Well she said... Too. It, She's got it difficult. She's thinking about the money. She's thinking about getting the thing stuff because she's growing up to be like I know who I am and what I want because I don't have a father, so I need to be an adult now. I'm helping my family, blah blah blah, and it's all about the money. It's all about the business. It's all about the justice, whatever. She ain't got time for sex and marriage and whatever. I'm not interested, you know. She just could be that. Yeah, but I guess
0: that's looking, I, I guess I'm looking at the time that you're dealing with a time where women aren't able to loan have land or own anything.
3: Yeah, so I, could, could I guess uh,
0: yeah, I guess uh, I guess it's only because before I kind of read the opening, I found the opening chapter. Yeah, and I, read yeah I mean that. that makes you
3: wonder. Don't give
0: Okay, and considering <laughs> that, considering that both versions are very uh, faithful adaptations of the book, apparently. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, well, maybe wow. this is what they were trying to say, or. In- Cohen brothers also. I've noticed the Cohen. I mean, this is probably one of the most accessible Cohen films. I love the Cohen brothers, whether it's *Raising Arizona*, or *Blood Simple*, or *Barton Fink*. Or, but I have to say, this is one of their most accessible, easier to watch film without mm. a lot of stuff that kind of goes on with the Cohenisms.
1: Yeah, this. Yeah, this is just a straightforward western. Like, if you didn't tell me it was a Cohen brothers movie, I wouldn't have known.
0: Yeah, because because the, normally they they tend to filter a lot of stuff through a lot of imagery and a lot of stuff that's not been said. Cause they, they are very big fans of old Hollywood anyway, the Coen brothers.
3: So, so they that's for anything
2: so. here.
0: So that, and then in a watch of Coen brother film and just be able to watch it and not look for all the, all the subtleties and everything that normally you have with a Coen brothers film. Maybe, maybe that's why I was kind of like searching for something
1: else.
3: Maybe. (laughs) In
1: in the 60s version, (laughs) I I will say this. In the 60s version, if you were going to have a, you know, if the character's a lesbian in the novel, in a 60s major studio, in a 60s major studio picture, you were never going to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, no, of course. but you would hint uh, at it in different ways, a bit like which might of- hours by giving Shirley MacLaine a short haircut or
2: yeah. by- <laughs> no, it's
0: true. you can't because you can't say these things outwardly or in Rebecca having, you know, the character act the way she is. And, yeah. saying, and you have to read everything's between the lines because you can't outwardly say anything or do anything. So. And that's why I was thinking, well, maybe that's... And because both are really good adaptions of the film, of the book, because, you know, that the book was bought because John Wayne loved the book and because of the book was well received And it's because they're one of the best books to read. I haven't read it. And because of the source material, you know, if that's the case, then you know, let's see what we can get, let's see how we can filter everything in the book in this way, but at the same time, so if you're a fan of the book, it's kind of still there, so if you look at a lot of adaptations at this time, they don't cut a lot of stuff out, but they found ways to cleverly filter it through, if you're looking for it, you'll find it, if you're not looking for it, it'll go over your head, sort of thing, so and 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 I said before, if I was watching the film without the epilogue with the Cohen brothers, I wouldn't have think twice about it. But after seeing and then after reading that and then looking at the epilogue, thinking of the epilogue, I kind of like, okay, makes maybe you
3: wonder, yeah. Maybe that's why the that's point so I guess it's perspective, yeah. Sometimes just like, oh, maybe that. yeah, yeah, I get it.
0: What about the Labeef character? Did you like Matt Damon's portrayal of that?
1: i liked i like both portrayals of it um <clears throat> i did like matt damon's better i think
0: i do I... Oh, too i think there was more depth to it
3: <laughs> which, only... one is, which one is that uh joe
1: uh the Lebeef character uh, uh uh matt damon versus uh glenn campbell i guess uh i i, I liked uh, i liked damon better i think i think i think performance wise i think i like most of the performance is better in the in the new one except for I think yeah. Dennis Hopper was way better in the original than his counterpart is here. And Barry Pepper just does a Robert Duvall uh, impression. Like the whole time I was watching him, <laughs> I was just like, he's just he's just mimicking Robert Duvall.
3: <laughs> even a facial expression, to be honest. He's doing the same facial expression. Yeah, even looks like him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I it guess. just looks a bit sc- at least looks a bit scarier on the second one than the first one. To be honest, it looks like the weird uncle, and the first one it looks like a the young guy. You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's the impression I had.
0: Well, I guess also when you look at um, the, the Dennis Hopper counterpart in this, I mean, it is the one of the Weasley brothers in Harry Potter. So,
1: oh, I've never seen the Harry Potter movie. Really?
0: Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's never, he's the, Ron Weasley's twin brother. Brothers.
3: Oh okay, okay, okay. Oh yeah, okay. I can see the face. So maybe realize. Is this all the moustaches that makes it look a really bit scary?
1: I think uh, uh, I'm I like
3: <laughs> if you look at Dennis Hopper from
0: this query, he's had quite a lot of backup till he got to that role in True Grit. This actor this is I think is his only acting role outside of Harry Potter at this time. So and, I, I, and all the Harry Potter kids. They found they were just normal people. Normal, normal.
1: I think in the, the, the case of Dennis Hopper in, in True Grit, that scene felt real. Yeah. You know, um, because like like you said, this is the that, that that time period between the classically trained actors and the New Method actors. So you have, you know, in, in in most cases, you have these older actors in the rest of the movie doing what was, you know, the classically trained thing. And then you get to Dennis Hopper, who is straight psychotic at times method acting. So he that that scene just felt like no, it felt like nothing else in that movie up until that point.
0: Mm. Yeah. I don't I mean I don't really know where Barry Pepper comes from. What's he known
1: for? Uh hang on, I'll look it up real quick cuz uh
0: Maybe I not really Connor know Ryan,
1: who... The Green Mile, Snitch. Are you looking him up right now? Cold yeah.
0: yeah Maze Runner. <clears throat> Uh, he was in a film called Crawl which is nominated for 3 C awards yeah i am just not that familiar with i kind of look at him any i mean if he, i guess comparing him to robert Duvall, i mean you're kind of looking at a a different kind of
1: actor maybe <laughs> well, well i mean you're we're comparing uh, let to be fair we're comparing him to one of the greatest actors to ever lived so <laughs> there's <laughs> there's yeah, a little uh,
0: yeah, and I guess, like you know, I guess looking at his thing, you know, you know, I think the hardest film he did was kind of a kind of a World War II soldier kind of character, maybe. What's
1: my um, apparently he he won. Uh, he, wait, hold on. He's been nominated for three Screen Actors Guild awards and a Golden Globe award in two thousand eleven for his role as Robert F Kennedy in the miniseries The Kennedys. Pepper won an Emmy award for uh, best for outstanding lead actor in a miniseries or movie. So, he, uh, so apparently a year after this, he went on to play Robert F. Kennedy and uh, apparently did a very good job with it. Um, I've seen a few movies with him in it, but I don't remember him in them. Yeah. To be, to be, I, I, I just watched Creed 3, and I I see he's in Creed 3, and I do not remember him in Creed 3. And I just watched that like two months ago.
0: Maybe that's the wonder of him. Maybe he's really good because he's able to camouflage himself in that, so you don't know it's him like in- Cape Blanchett, like Cape Lancet you never know it's Cape Lancet you see the credits like oh my God it's Kate Lancet
1: <laughs> maybe he's like that he was in that Lone Ranger movie that nobody saw
0: I don't yeah I don't what hopefully he wasn't playing Tonto because although I
1: know <laughs> it was Johnny Depp <laughs> <laughs> Johnny
5: Depp was Tonto <laughs> uh, he was-
1: which is quite lucky he hasn't been cancelled because of that that was made like that today. It was fuller, I, I, you know, I no, I nobody saw that version of Lone Ranger, so you know, it doesn't really. I got I, maybe I have to see it just to see if it's really a train wreck. And actually, uh, we were, we were talking about Johnny Depp earlier today, uh, uh when, I, when I first got up before I got on the podcast because uh, Johnny Depp, um, Jonathan Majors, and Justin Roiland, who all were you know, quote unquote, canceled, all were uh found not guilty of the crimes they supposedly committed. So now I, I, I kind of wondered out loud while uh, while talking to my roommate Sean this morning. Uh, we we're like, so what happens now? Now that we've destroyed these men's careers and you know said that they were horrible, abusive people and in a court of law they've all been found not guilty. What do we do now?
0: What about Kevin Spacey? Has he been found not guilty?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Spacey's
0: um uh, That's going uh he- at the moment at <laughs> one point it was being it was being <laughs> while we're getting day to day i don't know what happened at the end the people
1: who accuse him have a tendency to die
2: (laughs) it's weird
0: (laughs) i mean i don't i mean i'm just kind of wondering because i know that's that was that was that was going to court last week and then it's like and then it was like on our news on the bbc news is going like minute by minute what's going on and it kind of like nothing now so i was like Okay. I had no
1: idea. I had no idea he was going to trial again. It's weird that the BBC News would cover that minute by minute, and we heard nothing about it here.
0: I think it's because most of the allegations and stuff like that are from England.
1: Ah, okay. So it's a bigger deal over there because it's local over there. Okay.
0: Yeah, because basically all this stuff didn't happen in Hollywood. It tended to happen when he was um, when he was the artistic director for the, the old Vic Theater here.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I know stuff happened while he was in Hollywood too, but yeah, okay. Well,
0: there's the one with Anthony Rapp, wasn't it? You know, the kid from Adventures in Babysitting, Mm -hmm. later Rent, and then basically was at a party when he was fourteen or something. But so I kind of wondered what was he doing in a this adult gay party at the age of 14 which is kind of questionable not saying that that deserves anything that if anything happened that he deserved it but it does make me want to like was it that kind of was it that kind of party though I don't like I don't
1: apparently know apparently it
0: was apparently because you know when when he when you read his story he said that there's a lot of people <laughs> off with each other and it was all men and uh, t- uh, Kevin Spacey touched him inappropriately but if that's the case, if this is that kind of party, I I'm not saying that he deserved to be touched or if he didn't want to be touched, that should never happen. But if that's the kind of party it was, how did a fourteen year old get dropped off at a party?
2: Uh, <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? That, it's like that. That, <laughs> that just makes it skeevier because now, yeah, they invited a fourteen year old to the party, so they knew what they were doing. They they intentionally uh, did, they and where was and why did minor? his parents drop him off at a party? Maybe right? they maybe they didn't know. Maybe he didn't know. They might not have know. known that there was that kind of party. If I got a 14 year
0: old and I'm, I'm not, I, if, not if, if a bunch of his high school friends are not going, I'm not going to be done, gonna get like there. Yeah. There, I, the mean, idols, I mean, I, it's hard to, I mean, it's really, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you, we don't have context on.
2: Yeah. And I
1: mean, the, the, the idea to me, that like, like, okay, it's an industry party, but there's gotta be somebody else in your age group going like, uh, Yeah.
0: But and, I mean, like, they might not have known. But rap, it wasn't like a a rap party or a party based on a a movie or a television project that they all were completed on. That's why I'm kind of thinking mm, this the whole thing. The whole thing just smells very, very cagey. Whether <laughs> whether it's true or not, it just seems very, very cagey. You know,
2: it's just <sighs> like... Eh. <Hick.
0: laughs> for whatever reasons. All of it just on you know, if they invited the fourteen year old, why was he invited? If
2: he yeah, invited, why would he you invite a 40- crash it? Wow, how was he crash it? <laughs> you
1: know? That's oh, the part that sticks in my craw because if it was that kind of party, a fourteen year old should never have been invited in the first place. Yeah. Maybe. if, I, if, I'm, gonna, if <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have a party where we're all just gonna get drunk and everyone's gonna like hook up with each other, I'm not inviting teenagers. You know, I'm inviting people in. You know, the right age group. Precisely, and
0: you know, and. And he says that he was the only fourteen year old there, so that, that's another thing. Just, I don't know. Like, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I said before there there might be some missing context going on here. Maybe it didn't, or maybe Anthony Rapp is jumping on the bandwagon, and maybe he wasn't there. Who knows? I mean, I don't. I don't. I wasn't there, and it's all alleged at the moment. And I know that Anthony Rapp has refused to go to court about it for whatever reason. So who knows what the real story is? But no matter how you spin it, it doesn't sound good <laughs> for anyone.
1: No, no, not for anybody. Uh, especially now, this new wrinkle that they that they invited a fourteen year old to that kind of party. That's
0: well, he never said he was invited. He said he went to the party.
1: <laughs> I don't, so, so he might not have been invited. Maybe he just like
0: the it. I'm not saying that he wasn't invited. I'm saying there's a possibility of that because he goes. He didn't say he was invited. He said he went to a party. So. So Maybe somebody
1: else took them. Oh god. I don't know. I think it really gets hard. skeevier and skeevier the more we delve in and yeah I, I don't need my skin to crawl.
0: So you know, so I just you know moving forward, that's great because <laughs> 2010. <laughs>
2: Oh,
3: Actually, before be, be, be Full Rater, did you see that scene at some point when they were just going Into this old house? There was these two kids, and he just kicked the kid yes. out of that side. I, I was oh like, "Oh my
1: god!" Jesus yes, Christ, You they
3: going to establish the, him like, as
1: a prick. You want to establish I, I, him as a
3: prick? Just but, kicks the but child. That scene out of was frame. so realistic, and I was like, "Poor kid." That scene was so uncomfortable to watch. That's to gonna... see <laughs> and well, okay. that scene. And then the scene when Matt scene, the story, the girl, got explained like, by the guy, in both the movies, the second one was even probably worse, I think. They were just very uncomfortable to watch. It was like, Jesus Christ, okay, that's a bit too much.
0: You no, know, the thing is, though, from watching Westerns and stuff like this, and I know Westerns are not... History. It's the rough life
3: back in the days,
0: so <laughs> <laughs> I guess. But whenever I watch a Western, and I don't see very many, even, even when I look at, the spaghetti westerns which I tend I tend to watch more than normal westerns was there a respect for human life back then no
1: <laughs> not the, not the way no. These, no. I mean, there
0: never seems to be there never seems to be these grieving things going on it's like someone gets killed they'll and they'll have a shootout in the middle of the town the person get everybody's know, watching and everybody's well,
3: watching
2: somebody-
0: Well, everyone's watching, and high noon, it's like, you know, you have that, and, you know, they bury the person, and people just tend to get on with their lives, and the grieving doesn't ever seem to be that long, it just seems like, they bury them, okay, back to work. So I just want maybe I don't know if it was like that or not. I I really don't know. But in
1: this case, they actually cheer when the people are hung in the beginning of the, uh, in the beginning of the remake of True. Girl. Oh my
3: god, that was weird. Yeah in, yeah, the, yeah. in
1: the original version, everyone's kind of shocked and cringes. In this one, everyone applauds and cheers. I think well,
2: more you know,
3: realistic. People can be ugly.
0: Well, I'm saying up until Victorian times here that when uh, they used to have, you know public public execution yeah and everyone needs to come out because well this is before television <laughs> before <laughs> before theater so maybe maybe this is you know something like the circus is coming to town and I mean I know it sounds horrible from our point of view but maybe this is what this, this is well, what's different yeah. entertainment back
1: then. There was a sign <laughs> on the door in the original version uh because uh Maddie and uh uh what what is uh what is the, the other character's name that she's that she travels up with uh well they walk up to uh they walk up to a shop in the original version and it says uh shop clothes gone to hanging. Yeah. So
2: nice. yeah,
1: this is uh you know this kind of does is
0: remind there. me of Cannibal, the music, hang the bastard, hang him guy <laughs> <of> <laughs> It kind of does have that kind of feel to it. <laughs> so it's like, but, you know, but in those days, maybe this was, this was, this is exciting. This is entertainment
1: because this is, yeah, this is what you're going to get, you,
3: you know, ugh. even, but even the hanging scene was realistic. Now, I hope I'm not confusing the first movie with the second one. But you see the first character talking about the bad choices made and then he gets, like, head cover. The second one was kind of like, oh, fuck it, I just got the wrong person. And then you get clearly the, the guy who's, like, a Native American. is about to talk and they just covered him. He can't talk. He's not considered. Yeah. Like, they yeah, show you the racism that they had back in the day. So <clears throat> it's so realistic compared to the first movie.
1: That's in yeah, the that's 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 remake, yeah.
3: Yeah, and the wondering
0: if the, in the Cohen brothers version I'm kind of wondering if like maybe the first guy wasn't guilty maybe and then well, and then, because you're because you are dealing with kangaroo court system as well at this time well, as well
1: the, the first guy he makes reference to he shot the wrong man because he meant to shoot somebody else and he says he's out there now and he's gonna live and I'm gonna die and there's yeah. no justice in that so yeah it seems like he maybe mm-hmm. was out to kill somebody.
0: Who done maybe him he mi- like, Yeah, maybe he
1: missed. Like maybe he he shot at him but hit somebody else. I'm
2: telling you, me, somebody, I gotta, I, I gotta,
1: had I killed I got- him, I wouldn't be hanging here right
0: now. Yeah. <laughs> so you're kind of thinking of God. Maybe, maybe that was like a, a nod to what the justice system was in that time. I mean, it was outlaw. I mean, it was outlaw time anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, and you got to look at a time also where outlaws became folk heroes. You know, when you look at Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I mean, they're folk heroes at this time. Or, you know, Cl- Billy, the Billy the Kid, all that. These are like huge heroes. And they were... Yeah, Doc Holliday. Yeah, all
1: those people. money,
0: and all this other stuff that was going on. And these became... These are heroes at this time, <laughs> you know, and they were going on
3: killing people. I think it's just because those are the only people who got the balls to do whatever they want to do, whether the rest is kind of like, we got to follow what we are told to do, what we got to do to survive. Whether they take, they have the balls to be like, I'm gonna do what I want to do, you know. Well, Otherwise, maybe they
0: used to novelize their lives and sensationalize them as well at this time. When That's true. To these heroes of people, and like, yeah, they are heroes until they come knocking at your door and they start killing off your family. <laughs> <laughs> and was it what they were doing for whatever reasons, but you know, and you know, and you think about you know, and you also have to remember that. You know, and it's kind of thing, we have this weird thing about looking at bank robbery, for instance. Mm. You no, know, you know, and a bank robbery. Now, if a bank gets robbed, if your bank were all your money is, that gets robbed, you are covered. There is insurance. Yeah. Then if a bank robber robbed your bank and they took off with all the money in the bank, they took off with your money and you're not going to get it back. There's no insurance for you whatsoever. So... I guess when you kind of think things in in realistic terms, it's kind of an odd thing to really think about. It's like, okay. It's odd
1: to lionize these people, yeah. Yeah. But I guess maybe back then, the average person might not
0: have
2: a bank account, you
0: know? Well, if they did, if the bank got robbed, you lost your money. So that's probably why people like hid their money in mattresses and shit. Yeah. They were putting in the bank because you know, it's just as much.
3: I promise you, there are still people to this day, who right? hide the money under the mattress. Oh, and yeah, there definitely
2: people.
0: are. Because yeah. who's going to trust they banks? Do it, but they do, well, it's not that they don't trust banks. They do it because they're afraid to get of interest rates and how much the government thinks they're making. So it's a bit different. So uh, obviously, there's a different reason, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, but, you know, so you kind of look at that and, it, and we think of the simple fact that while you're on your little homestead at any time, someone come up and shoot you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, and something happens, let's say you fall off your horse, you know,
3: you might, your carriage.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if, I'm just saying if you fall off your horse and let's say you hit your head and got a concussion, it's going to take a doctor two or three days to get to
3: you. So. You might as well just say, "Okay, you are and, and It's when the, it's it's the scene when they, they, they you know there's like these two guys inside the the the, the, the stable the, the house whatever, and then the guy's dying and the guy's like, "Well, yeah, you're dying. It's done." <laughs> We're like Jesus, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess and
0: I guess what you can take from both versions why there's something mm-hmm. of an artificial being about both movies is that these characters at that time would have no teeth, at all. Yeah, yeah. They'd all be wooden. They'll be wooden or gumming their food to death. So shame. So that's why it's always, that's why sometimes when I watch like period, I I don't really like period dramas, but when you see a period drama and you're like, all these perfect dudes, you're like, you know, know, and the thing is, you know, everyone smelled, no one had deodorant this day. And you're out in that hot, dusty sun, you know that. And you had a bath once a
1: month. (laughs) Can't have been pleasant. (laughs) even even lately watching movies from the 30s i'd hear about people having a ba- oh a bath what, what do you why why what do you mean i got to take a bath it's not saturday I'm like oh my god yeah people used to bathe once a week back then even as recently as the 1930s people used to bathe once a week
0: and what they used for sweat was talcum powder and rose petals
3: yeah wait wait wait, wait. in italy when you're young you, I mean, my, my mother used talcum powder. I still carry talcum powder with me when I sweat. I use it sometimes. Yeah, normally they need do But you don't use it as a form of deodorant. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's more for the sweat. Yeah, no, 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 no. Not as a form of deodorant, no. But it's actually, it's got a nice scent, but no, not as a deodorant.
0: It's got a nice scent, but let, okay, now let's, let's give you just talcum powder and let's put you on a hot, hot field and let's have you... It's you know. useless,
3: yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> You're right.
0: I don't see how long you start smelling of talcum powder after like an hour out in the hot days
3: <laughs> Very true, very true. Well, I guess let's rate... Um...
0: regret from 2010 and starting with you
3: David how many stars would you give this so I started thinking I was gonna give both of the movies four and a little bit more we talked about it I think I gotta say that I like the second one more so I gotta say, give her a 4.5 compared to the previous one just I'm gonna say 4.5 I'm not giving it a five just because I don't like westerns are not my favorite genre otherwise I would have given it a five
1: <laughs> you what know about yourself Joe um <clears throat> it's either 4.5 or a five, because like, like I said, this is either equal or better than the original, in my opinion. Um, it's very rare, but I think this falls into that rare category of remakes that are, uh, either equal to or superior to the original. And there's not many of those out there. Uh, this one definitely is one of them though. It's fantastic from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Both of them are extremely engrossing. So yeah, I'm, uh, Four, four and a half to five, somewhere somewhere there. I guess it depends on the day. Um, if I had to choose between the two of them, I think the second one, is uh, the remake, is probably better. Take that for what you will. I, if you ask me another damn, I think the, the original is better. Um, both are fantastic. They're at the very least equal. I'm going to give it a solid five because I've seen
0: this film three or four times. For One, because I really wanted to see it. So I, I watched it because I I do watch all the Cohen brother films. So I watched it and enjoyed it. And the other times outside of watching it for this show, I every time it came on TV, I tend to watch it. and I'm totally enthralled by it. Yeah, I just can't stop watching it. And it cuts, so I'm, I'm going to give it a solid five only because I can't find any faults with it. Really, that, yeah, that's a good point. I cannot
1: think of anything in this movie that doesn't work.
0: Yeah, it's only it just.
1: The- the only travesty Sorry. I
0: find is that how something this brilliant didn't win anything.
1: Uh, what won that year? <laughs> you got me. You got me curious now. What was the best picture winner that year? Uh, let's see. Well, it, was out, it was out in twenty
0: eleven when it was nominated, but it was up against one hundred twenty seven hours, The Social Network, um, The King's Speech. King's Speech, I think, won, right? Yeah, and Black Swan was out that time. <clears throat> Winter's Bone. Is what Winter's Bone is an excellent film, though you can never watch that more than once. The Town, um, The Fighter, Inception, Kids Are All Right, which basically did quite well because it dealt with two lesbians and finding the real, dealing with the real father. They're nauseating millennial child, children. Um, Toy Story Three.
3: But yeah, but then again, who cares if he didn't win? We appreciated it even if he didn't win. Oh, and and I thing I'm, I'm surprised he didn't win nothing mm-hmm. at all. So, I mean, but we know that they're winning sometimes is related to politics, the political decisions. So you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, but so even the, like, I mean that's the way. I don't it's do politics
1: like, played a role that particular year because the king's it's not like the king's speech was a movie that uh I'm looking at it now. There's it's not like it's not like anybody in there was somebody that they were gonna be like, oh we're gonna give you we're gonna give you an award that you were due years ago. This one just felt maybe they just actually just felt that mm-hmm. King's speech uh, was a better film.
0: Well I mean to be honest, King's speech t- has kind of a trope in it where you have this guy who can't speak and stutters and by the end of that you can he has perfect Queen's diction. So you do have this person a, a speech impediment that overcomes a tra- tra- overcomes that to become a public speaker, so he kind of does have that Oscar trope. Um, I mean, maybe if they brought maybe the you know, Haley Haley Stansfield might have won, had a better chance if they could show her older and missing an arm, she might have won more. <laughs> 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 bringing in another actress to play that part, maybe. <laughs> I mean Jeff Bridges won the year before anyway, so that might be the reason why you know he didn't win this that, that year. Cause he did win a fair a song of the heart, was it? That cowboy one that he played. He did win that the year before. So
1: Oh God, this was the year that Ann Hathaway and uh uh James Franco hosted it. Yeah. Oh, that was a terrible, uh terrible Academy Awards uh uh um, uh ceremony. <laughs> what, what I remember watching wrong? that one live. Huh? Well, it's kind of weird.
0: Well, they're just they did. They and films are fine. But when you leave them on their own, there's not a lot of personality there.
1: Yeah, Uh, it was just not an entertaining show. I remember that's that's one. Yeah, I remember I watched that one live. It was not good.
0: But I mean it was kind of odd to have James Franco hosting anyway, considering he was up for an Oscar himself. So it's kind of odd. It's kind of I always find it odd when you have someone who's up for an Oscar hosting the Oscars. It just seems weird.
2: Because it's kind of like,
0: you know, it's a bit like, you know, if you're gonna watch a horse race and you'd rather if the person who's gonna be hosting the horse race, you'd rather not him being being the jockey on the horse.
2: <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sort of thing. So, but anyway, that brings us to the end of the Literary License podcast. Next week, our Eminem or Monsters of Madness will be The Orphanage or El Orfanato, the Spanish film, and Personal Shopper. Uh, of course, we'll be continuing our books. Our end of our America Goes Dark with the end of our season with. Flowers in the Attic by Fee- V C Andrews in the 1980s film based on the same name. So we'll get this deal with incest and children locked in the attic and children being fed <laughs> poison sugar cookies. Nothing's better than that and Louise Fletcher all the <laughs> 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 and of course Batman continues, continuously tune your Batman and of course our last make a remake of the season will be The Last Man St- The Last Man Alone Last Man the Last Man St- on Earth. Earth Last Man on Earth starring Vincent Price from the 60s and the remake I am legend starring Will Smith. So it's good night for myself and good night David. Good night everyone. Good night Joe. Good night everyone. I'll see you next week for the orphanage and